Transmission will start in five seconds from now. Five, four, three, two, one, in. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. They're frequently dumb, but they're sometimes astute. They're always emphatic on a degree absolute. They're breaking the prisoner right down to the root. That whole TV show on a degree absolute. If you like lava lamps and weather balloons and whack-ass inflections from Patrick McGoon, Chris and Glenn made a podcast especially for you. It's no degree partial. It's a degree Glenn, hey Glenn, 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 Chris. You know, people oh people ask me about you sometimes, oh buddy. You've uh, accrued a certain amount of notoriety in this world, in this little niche that we occupy. How <laughs> am I already tired? Okay, go ahead. No, they they ask me what you're really like, oh. and uh, you know, I I reflect because I don't want to give them some some flippant answer. And um, when I really search my feelings, <sighs> what I have to say to them is that Glenn. He was always good about money. He always made That's, sure we had enough. He'd come and go like a thief. <laughs> he came to the house one time to get his massive hardcover of Who's Who in the DC okay, Universe. I was, gonna, was wondering where Massive was going to go, but okay, good. Continue. It's actually all I got. Okay. That's, that's good. No, that's, that's a the... solid piece of business. <laughs> um, Could have gone much worse, so I'm, I'm glad we're all still alive and, and looking at each other. This is good. Yeah, I want to get this out of the way quickly. I want to tell everyone that we are joined today yeah. by our friend and uh, self-appointed ombudsman. Ombudsman? That's how <laughs> ombudsman, you say that, right? Yes, uh-huh. that's good. I like that. I like that. Village ombudsman. Patrick yeah. Flynn, who uh, delights in pointing out our errors. Um, when he's not doing that, he is also a playwright. He is the host of the original cast podcast. And what is love actually actually, mm-hmm. uh, among others, and does uh, audio production for various theater companies uh right patrick that's true that is all no that's good yeah jack of all trades master of none welcome patrick thank you thank you very much for having i would like to correct you because Mm -hmm. i don't correct the show i correct you i correct you mr klimek and and only you (laughs) i believe okay all right all right that's that's fine before we even get to the all-important preamble then just because you felt the need to make that correction i'm really gonna shake things up uh-oh. And uh, open with some mail. Oh, wow. Oh, my. Uh, this is quite a shakeup. I think this is important. I think it speaks to uh, an ongoing debate that Glenn and I have uh-huh. had about uh, choosing material appropriate to cover on this podcast. <clears throat> the subject line is Mary Queen of Scots? Okay. Question uh, mark. Sure. Hello, Glenn and Chris. Uh-huh. I've been absolutely loving this podcast. I'm oh, sorry. It finally got me to watch The Prisoner, which had been on my radar ever since David Bean Cooley recommended it on Fresh Air go. 10 years ago or so. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe longer than that, right, Glenn? Because that was how, how Yeah, you, it was, it was uh, longer than that, yes. Were. <laughs> it has spurred me to do a Columbo rewatch and has been helping me limp through what we all hope is actually the tail end of this god-awful pandemic. I've thought the just-see-everything-Magoon was in approach to selecting films has led to a fun series of films that are refreshingly different from the kind of stuff movie podcasts usually tackle. They're not great, they're not terrible, and they're not the same current releases that everyone else is talking about. Yes, every, everyone who would like to yes. <laughs> grow an audience for their podcast. <laughs> um, 
I did want to comment that Mary Queen of Scots might be more available than y'all are supposing. I got a copy from my public library without much trouble a few weeks ago. And as the date by which I need to return it is fast approaching, I wanted to make a plug for y'all to actually cover it on the show. You can use WorldCat to get a sense of how many libraries in the U.S. actually have this one. I know that having to slog to a library in person for physical media is not the most popular activity in 2021, but I assume that the viewership of this show is more highly motivated than most. I also wanted to comment that there are structural issues with many fewer films being available on streaming than are available on DVD, Glenn, and that, of course, the content that doesn't focus on straight white dudes is less likely to get on streaming platforms. Glenn. If critics limit the films they're willing to talk about, Glenn, to the ones that are always available on streaming, Glenn, she didn't actually put all this punctuation. That's a lot of Glenns. I I got that Uh, from context. That feeds into a self-reinforcing cycle, Glenn, of everyone paying more attention to the content by and about those straight white dudes. This random British costume drum is not the most important omission from various streaming catalogs, and maybe the film is terrible, but the thing where I've spent the last month or so with y'all watching easily streamable dad films and other content of varying quality that is centered almost exclusively on straight white men, Glenn, well, a film centered on two women isn't available via streaming isn't an accident. It's the power structures in the film industry that favor stuff dudes like playing out. I hope y'all will see yourselves not just as podcast creators subject to the whims of format preferences of your audience, but also as critics who have the power to push an audience to buck those power structures. You covering this film might push other audience members to think about how keeping DVDs in their media diet helps to keep that diet broad and varied. Glenn, it could also help build the audience interest needed to get a streamer to pick this film up. Anyway, I've been loving the podcast, and we'll see if I need to write back next week eating shit because Mary Queen of Scots is actually bad or significantly less interesting (laughs) than the other films you've covered, not just less widely available. Thank you so much for that letter, Elizabeth. Yeah, Elizabeth the first. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I take her point. Uh, I also like that she left herself a back door in case uh, Mary Queen of Scots sucks. Look, I am trying... (laughs) To make this accessible to the most people. And yes, that means uh, the patriarchy. Um, but I also, I, uh-huh. I, I, I don't want it to, st- <laughs> if we do uh, demand folks go to their local libraries. Look, I, I, I'm on Pop Culture Happy Hour. I have to love libraries. It's the job. That's the job. And I, and I love libraries and librarians. And there's certainly a lot of stuff that's streaming online from libraries. But, the, you know, to have them hunt down a piece of physical media in the, this is the year of our Lord 2021, I mean, I understand there are uh, people who love physical media and will always and will see streaming as ephemeral and, uh, you know, the patriarchy being able to kind of take from us whenever they want to. But I mean, you know, Patrick, way in here. I'm very much of two minds on this, I have to say, because I appreciate the focus on you can easily find this movie we're going to talk about here. Mm -hmm. But I often as a podcast listener, will listen to the movie review first and then go see the movie, like bad movie podcasts that I listen to. Mm -hmm. I let them kind of get me jized for the movie, and then I go watch it. Mm -hmm. So I go both ways, but it is frustrating when you listen to a podcast about a movie and you're like, God, this movie's great. You have to see it, and then... You know, you got to spend thirty bucks to buy it. Pretty much, is, is that what you DVD. paid for um, for Catch My Soul? Catch My Soul, uh, <laughs> the, the actually genuinely impossible the, to get. Movie genuine that we asked you to I was it, yes, the yeah. Blu-ray of Catch My Soul. I mean, Mary I Queen of Scots is on Blu-ray. We're not talking about the Dead Sea Scrolls here. Or something. It's not sure. Right. And to Patrick's point, if it's brilliant or if it's so terrible that it's fun to watch, then I have less compunction urging people to go seek it out on physical media, either by buying it or renting it from or, or getting it from a library. 
80% of everything is right down the middle. 80% of everything is kind of okay. 10% of everything in the world is great. 10% of everything is absolutely awful. Most stuff is in the middle, and it's tough to motivate people uh, to to invest the time and attention and money it would require to, for something that is just going to be like, eh. Even with our uh, sparkling witty banter to drive them to it, I just don't trust our sparkling witty banter that much. I'm just asking you to have more faith in our show and in our audience, uh-huh. Glenn. All right. They'll take care of themselves. They'll jump out if they're not they interested. Can skip I will also say, as a listener to this podcast, and someone who has very little time to watch anything <laughs> that isn't for a podcast, <laughs> I, I, it does, never bothers me if I don't see the movie that people I like to hear talk or talking about so it. So you never... Same. Never, you never yeah. watched Ice Station Jeeber. Is that what you're telling me, Patrick? I, no, but I absolutely am going to. Okay. All right. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is high on my list of okay. have to watch right. uh, uh, movies. Yes. All I want to contribute to this is I just know Patrick has a lot of physical media in his home. Mm-hmm. I do. Been there, seen it. I he's do. got like me. He's he's got overflowing shelves. His cup over filleth or whatever. With, yes, uh, I have Battlefield Earth on DVD. Okay. Wow. You're the one. Okay. okay. I'm the one. Yes. That's a good way to get clear. You uh, let me know tomorrow whether you. <laughs> You'd like me to leave that in. <laughs> All right, it's settled. We'll do Mary of Queen of Scots. I don't know if we're going to do it next. Hell yes. We'll do Mary Queen of Scots. Right, Mary Queen of so Scots. So why why are we talking about Mary Queen of Scots? Not tonight, but on, on some future possibly <clears throat> enchanted evening. Mm-hmm. Anybody have any theories? Do you want about me to sing some enchanted evening? Do? Is that the... No. Oh. <clears throat> uh, yeah, go ahead. Because it uh, features... I'd love to say prominently. I'm not sure if that's true. Uh, because in 1966, okay. Patrick McGowan starred the long-running TV spy series Danger Man resigned at the height of the show's popularity to create a new series about a spy who resigns from government service and wakes up in a mysterious, inescapable village where each resident, well, scratch that, many residents are referred to only by their numbers, real and provocative, silly and pretentious ahead of its time, and innately and unambiguously in love and lambently of its time, that short-lived, long-tailed series was called The Prisoner. Yeah, it was. <sighs> We welcome you now to the private, personal, by-hand, tangent-tolerant, but properly punctuated, punch-card-driven podcast where we take this unclassifiable and unforgettable television series and related items, and we push it. Like Conan, shackled to the wheel of pain after being enslaved like the other boys of his village by Thulsa Doom's snake cult, unlike those other unfortunate boys, Conan's great strength allowed him to survive his nearly two decades attending the wheel of pain. Push push it like like Conan on the on the wheel of pain. Patrick, you first. Uh, I'll give you a four. Okay. Again, uh, you, you buck against this these metrics, but neither pithy nor relevant, so <laughs> three. By Crom Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I am hearing the lamentations of your women even as I speak. <laughs> We stamp it like the one-ounce first-class issue from April of this year, wherein the United States Postal Service decided the time had come to honor espresso drinks. Quoth the USPS, whether milky or dark as night, sweetened, flavored, or highly concentrated, many coffee drinks have one thing in common. They begin with espresso. Hmm. Stamp it like that. Patrick? I'm going to have to give that a three. Long walk for a short drink. No, no one gives you a fucking pint of espresso, Patrick. Espresso is a is by definition a short yeah. drink. Long walk for That's a demi tasse, as they say. Um, I yeah, uh, I uh, three sure. I don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> we file it like the LP by the Jimmy Castor Bunch featuring E-Man that I bought at the DC Record Fair last weekend for $15 entitled But, that's but with two T's, but of course, 
which I fully expected to alphabetize in the comedy section of my library, but eventually decided to locate under funk slash soul slash R&B. Patrick. I'll take a plug for the uh, for the DC Record Fair, so I'll give that a five. Uh, two. <laughs> Balancing out. <laughs> we index it like the six-foot-six-inch-tall pioneering American bebop jazz saxophonist, Mr. Gordon's album Clubhouse, uh, as it remained for the 14-year interval between its recording in 1965 and its release in 1979. Mm. Index it. Three. Yeah, I love I'm sensing a theme. I love yeah. the film High Fidelity. I don't need it on my podcast, too. Uh, you just have to play ever so slightly behind the mm-hmm. beat. <laughs> the Ringo method. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we brief it like the pre-deployment instructions given to a retired member of MI6's Elite 00 section and to the much younger active agent who has assumed his old number. Oh, I'm going to go with a uh, six on that one. <laughs> I should give it a seven. <laughs> uh, yeah, you should give it a seven. In fact, I'm going to give it yeah. uh, two zeros and a seven. Yes, absolutely. Well done. So, of course, if you average that out, uh, zero plus zero, that, that comes out to a zero, doesn't it? If you divide it by three. Well, we get zero seven divided, divided by three. By it's like a three. Two, point, two point one or something. No, it's yeah. not a zero. It's like, yeah. It's, it's All right, a, never mind. It's not a math. <laughs> now I'm, I'm rethinking this one. <laughs> um, we debrief it like two old pals having a beer and a comically large pretzel together as they sort through their feelings in the immediate aftermath of the latest, as in most recent, and latest, as in most delayed... And also longest James Bond 007 screen adventure, No Time to Die. Yeah, I'll give that a seven, too. Give that, uh, playing to my emotions will will, uh, boot you nothing. Uh, I'll give it two hours and 45 minutes. It's it's two hours and 43 minutes. Okay. 43. Don't exaggerate. (laughs) Finally, we number it. Like the content of the Broadway's back special that followed the Tony Awards ceremony on a separate fucking streaming service causing great confusion and consternation that was resolved only just in time for me to catch the spoken word and tap dance performance by Daniel J. Watts and Jared Grimes that also featured Broadway inspirational voices, including our own Casey Aaron Clark. Mm-hmm. I nearly missed it, Glenn. Nearly missed it because of that, that bullshit about like stream half of yeah. it on one service and then in, like get another fucking app so you can watch the rest of the... Yes, I give Number it, uh, yeah, like, Patrick like way in here because this both, both I give you a six. I give you a six. I I give the Tonys a negative six. I was I did not watch for many many reasons. Wow. I did watch Casey, our mutual friend Casey Aaron Clark, but I did not watch the Tonys okay. for the first time in about thirty years. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a nostalgia fest. They didn't know what to do with it. I give uh, your analogy, your intro, a six. Yes. Yeah, when you watch something that's supposedly about Broadway musicals and all the songs are songs that I know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really, <laughs> well, it's like, I, wow, you guys are not sticking to your mission. See, I was never, the, my, my mini soapboxes, I was never going to watch no matter what they did because they they structured the rules for the, the nominations a ra- like very strictly. And I looked at those rules and went, oh, okay, so only these five shows are eligible, right. one of which was Percy Jackson, The Lightning Thief, which is a very good musical. And it was also the only original score uh-huh. that was eligible with words. And it was they had five nominees for original score, and none of them were Percy Jackson. Yeah. In fact, I think the show received no nominations at all. And it was a clear, snobbish snub of a show aimed at teenagers. Huh. Um, and wow. I, I said, well, that's great. So you're, you're saying that Percy <clears throat> Jackson, the lightning thief, is the 
slave play of the Tony Awards? I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying <laughs> that, that in no way. Clear. In no way. Mm-hmm. To be very clear, mm-hmm. <laughs> I am not saying that. I'm saying that it... You're saying it didn't get nominations, where Slave Play was nominated for everything and one yes. nothing, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. That is true. Most nominations for, for yeah, and, and no wins. Just like the Color Purple musical. What do you think the Color Purple musical and Slave Play have in common? <laughs> As listeners have no doubt divined from, from this uh, very erudite exchange, our inquiry into this unclassifiable and unforgettable television series is not of a degree pedestrian. Nope. Uh, it is not of a degree equestrian, oh. despite the occasional Ooh. presence of Lee Van Cleef. Sure, good, go. solid. Yeah, I like that. Uh, it's not of a degree Wes- Wesleyan, which is um, a offshoot of Protestant. Protestantism. Hey, it's kind of Methodist. It's in there. Yeah, it's in yeah. the mix there. Yeah. What is it, Glenn? It's of a degree uh, absolute, Chris. Correct. Correct. <laughs> well, I'm glad I got that right. You did However it. However many episodes, and you finally yep, got it right. Yep, yep. Because I, I believe in you. Mm. Okay, I believe in you a little, little more than you believe in yourself oh, sometimes, heck. buddy. All right. So tonight we're propping up the fucking patriarchy by talking about the hard way. <laughs> in a lot of different ways. Yes, we are. 1980 TV movie that was uh, made by ITC. McGee's old patron, Lou Grade, had a hand in this. According to Not a Number, Patrick McGoon, A Life, by Rupert Booth, the same guy who likes to tell us what miserable drunks both... Uh, McGowan and Peter Falk were, especially when they, they got around each other, says that uh, although though he praises McGowan's performance in this film, as I, as I will too, I think, he was in fact not on his best behavior on the set. According to Paul Duane, who, well, this is, this is a recollection that Paul Duane gave to, to the author, to Mr. Booth. I met the original director of that film, Richard Tomblson. Tomlinson had been responsible for suggesting McGoon, but told me it was the worst decision he ever made. The quote I remember is, if I asked him to stand and look out the window, he would lie down under the bed. He was fired when the film was finished, very poorly with one of the producers directing, and Tomlinson disappeared to Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, uh, that's Tomlinson who was fired, not, not McGoon. No. Uh, Tomlinson, he has a writing credit on this movie, but not a directing credit. Uh, Michael Dryhurst? Mm-hmm. Yes. Is, uh, uh, is this the... is the first and perhaps only film we will ever cover that is unique in the fact that it has no Wikipedia page. Yes. Not a one. So a lot <laughs> no. of my normal bullshit will have to be, <laughs> will have to be put aside. And again, the limited trivia on IMDb. Yeah, that's what you're working That's with. exactly what I'm working from, Patrick. Uh, IMDb <laughs> yes. says it was a TV movie originally intended for cinematic release. This is the one and only film directed by Michael Dryhurst, who is one of these dudes with an IMDb page the size of a CVS receipt. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that IMDb page, my, my heart sank because it is filled with Klimic fodder, which means that this already tangent-heavy mm-hmm. podcast... Is is going to become an entire calculus textbook? Like what, Glenn? He was he was AD on Superman the movie. He co- I was going to say there's a lot of there's a lot of mutual interest. He, that in, is at in least his as much here. Weldon Fodder. Yeah, as I'm going to keep on, going. He co-produced a little film called <sighs> Hudson Hawk. That donut hole eating son of a bitch take it in the year for a beer, red bastard. Had the perfect amount of fun. He was associate producer on Never Say Never Again. You were marvelously well equipped. Thank you, James. So were you. Uh, John Borman uh, developed this film with him, and two two years later, Dryhurst would be an associate producer on Excalibur. I don't know what the difference between an associate and executive producer is. Do you either of you guys know? Hmm. Uh, amount of work and money. 
Okay. What's more, yeah. executive or associate? Uh, so, well, the the joke is that the associate producer credit is what you give your secretary instead of a raise. Ah, uh, right. Okay. And that's the that's the Hollywood <clears throat> joke. And the executive producer usually uh, is a lot more clout and a lot less work, mm-hmm. in my experience. Interesting. And if all of that yeah. wasn't bad enough, this film has the distinction of being another film where the main character is named John Connor. So. Your son, sir. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, true. Your unborn son. He taught us to storm in the wire of the camps and smash those metal motherfuckers into junk, Glenn. This is what I was afraid was going to happen. <laughs> he brought us back from the drink. The brink. <laughs> he did also. The drink. Had we been able to distill some, some moonshine right. or whatever in our little fallout shelters hiding from the machines. I don't know. Maybe they did that. Now, uh, Patrick, when I saw that the role of Kathleen was played by mm-hmm. uh, Edna O'Brien... Yes. Kathleen. I recognize the name because there's a very good Irish writer and playwright named Edna O'Brien. But, there is. But, you know, it's Ireland, so mm-hmm. I was not going to be taken in by that. Like, I've no. we've been down that Ian right. Fleming role, role before. Uh, mm-hmm. But then I have her novel Time, Time and Tide here at the cabin. I looked at the author photo, and that's her, bitch. That is, that is her. Edna O'Brien. <laughs> in her only movie role, if, if, unless I'm mistaken. It is her, like only her only credited movie role. She appeared in a film called Wild Decembers, which is based on one of her novels, but that was an uncredited appearance because she just played woman in church. So this is kind of a cameo. Right. More wow. Which is a very Ed okay. O'Brien thing to play. <laughs> if you know right. her work, woman in church. She is the soul of this movie. I mean... She she's given is. a lot to do, <laughs> lot to say, not a lot to do, lot to say. She's given the most dialogue easily of anybody in this movie. Easily, yes. Um, she is off by herself. She, I don't think she only interacts with one other person in the film. The guy at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, she does have one scene with McGee. Oh when he's right, telling her she's right, gotta right. get out of town. Right. Obviously, they were there on on set together, but they don't look like it. And they're kind of like blocked, so they're looking off in different directions and. Uh, yeah, it's like De Niro and Pacino in Heat. Right. Like, they, they could have been shot on separate days. And it, no, you do get the master shot in Heat. That is a you don't, falsehood, do you? Patrick. Okay. They do. They do. So you never wanted a regular type life. The fuck is that? Barbecues and ball games? Yeah. This regular type life, that your life? My life? No, my life. No, my life's a disaster. So. Yeah, you bring that up, and I, I did notice that Patty McGee and Lee Van C. They did have the shared title card, mm-hmm. like Pacino yes. and De Niro mm-hmm. do in Heat, and Brad and Leo do in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You, you don't see it that much, but not they didn't do the um, the Towering Inferno thing. Did you ever hear the story about the Towering Inferno? No, go ahead. Credit because no. it's Paul Newman and Steve McQueen, and they couldn't agree on who was going to get star billing. So I think Paul Newman's name is on the left. And he thought he got top billing because he read left to right. But Steve McQueen's name is higher in the frame uh-huh. than Paul Newman's. So he thought he got top billing because his name was on the top. Yep. So that was how they solved. Very ingenious, whoever came up with that idea, to solve the problem. But So by that logic, Patty, uh, Patty McGee gets top billing in this movie over Lee Van Cleef. Yep, absolutely. Because he's on the left. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was striking to me. Uh, also, you're right that when the, that one time that Patrick McGowan and Ed O'Brien do share the screen, there is a very Sixth Sense vibe <laughs> to that scene where they just <laughs> seem to be kind of walking past each other, talking past each other. Do you guys have a lot of familiarity with the sort of British-Irish gangster 
movie of the seventies that this sort of is no kind of not of the seventies certainly of the eighties and nineties but yeah and the eighties yeah into the eighties yeah I mean stuff like Long Good Friday sure. and I've seen Lisa, Lisa, Lisa and Get Carter yeah, yeah. like yeah. the and then there was a, a couple um, there's a Sidney Lumet Sean Connery movie called The Offense. Hmm. Which this movie really feels yeah, like it. which I I need to watch. Apparently, that movie was part of Connery's deal to come back yeah. and do Diamonds Are Forever. Yep, that was that was one of those. It is a it is his I think Connery's best performance in a movie. It's a shocking huh. dark, and it's on hard streaming. So maybe maybe Glenn will even see it. <laughs> <laughs> but it is not a fun movie or a happy movie. <laughs> but it has the same. They all have these kind of like rainy overcoat, worn in feels to them all those movies very lived in kind of game, which absence the american i loved how much gloss. my arthritic knee started hurting just watching this movie because it's so so just watching him and, sit and, in the moss irish <laughs> yeah and uh yeah no, I, I, I really do and i read i read some reviews where everybody's talking about the cinematography and the lush greens and i'm sorry that for for lush greens you need sunlight <laughs> there yeah. is not a <laughs> shaft of sunlight in this entire film the sunlight was not in the budget glenn <clears throat> on a 15 inch tv screen yeah, broadcast over over BBC. It probably looks probably looks pretty lush. That's true. That's true. <laughs> All right, we begin. McGowan is in a very industrial part of town that's on the river. I thought this place had a vaguely Soviet brutalist vibe, but I think that just might be Dublin. <laughs> it just might be the UK because you yeah. know UK in the seventies. Thatcher's Thatcher's uh, UK. Uh, yep. Yeah. God. Dublin in the 70s, Glenn. Now, Ireland in the 70s wasn't the happiest place. There was the trouble. He, uh, he sees a dude pull up who's got a briefcase full of cash. We know it's a briefcase full of cash because he opens it up and inspects it, which is not best practices. Uh, Turns it towards the, the camera so you oh, can yes, see. Exactly. <laughs> I'm already going to interrupt you here. You know what I think is not best practices? is paying someone to commit murder by personal check, mm-hmm. which is clearly the yeah. practice. Which is which is Lee Van Cleef's jam. There's a paper trail for all of his murder. <laughs> he seems like he's done this before, and yet he's making mistakes. There are so many checks in this movie. <laughs> there, are, there are checkbooks. Lots of checkbooks in this movie. Where are checkbooks? Well, C-H-E-Q-U-E-S. Mm-hmm. Checks to the Bank of Ireland too. Like they're yeah. not even Swiss checks. Yep. If they were at least like the Bank of Switzerland, mm-hmm. you'd be like, oh, okay, they're professional gangsters. They hide their and he's international using gangsters. What we imagine is his real name, John Connor, right there on the check. It's yeah, just, it's not a anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not like he just saw a movie and took a name from the That's, movie because this right. was before yeah, that. So maybe John Connor went back in time further before he went back <laughs> to. Uh, so he waits around. He checks his watch. McGowan takes him down with a very centrally located headshot. Um, mm-hmm. Then we get some manner of fetishist Falderall with him field stripping his rifle and putting it in a briefcase. There'll be a lot of that in this movie. A lot of that, yeah. Which I 100% I like am here for, I have to say. I, like, hell yeah, man. There is, there is a... This, this Another movie this reminded me of, though it is not as good as this, is Day of the Jackal. Yeah, sure. Um, and I am a sucker for, an, like from my childhood, an assassin movie mm-hmm. procedural mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of all the little nonsense they have to do to do the thing which is not this this movie is for a very little chunk is that yeah. is the like the shoe leather of killing somebody right you you couldn't learn how to commit a successful assassination just by watching this movie you would also no. have to watch day of the jackal you'd have to watch several other that's movies. that's yeah. the original day of the jackal not the not, not the, the bruce willis, bruce willis. No. Uh, um, yes on our ice station zebra episode matt gorley called day of the jackal a a how-to 
Yes, mm-hmm. which it really. I mean, Day of the Jackal is an amazing movie, yeah. and, but like, I am, I, I am a real sucker for carefully assembling or di- disassembling a rifle. Yeah, because like there are fucking consequences if you do it wrong. Sure, right? you need to be meticulous about that shit. The way the way John Connor is about adjusting his his sight. Yep. And there's some uh, really well shaped foam padding in the in the briefcase because mm-hmm. that's that's important. Love that. Yeah, love that too. Don't you like the foam pieces that are cut to to keep the weapons from you know rolling around even a little bit? Don't you wish you had that for all your shit? Uh, like, uh, I mean, for a lot of the audio stuff, a lot of people have that shit, right? right? Yeah. That's, that's kind of how you carry. Yes, audio actually, code. like like my Zoom recorder has little foam inserts that came with it, and I and I love them. So mm-hmm. uh, Patty is in a bar at Houston Station. His contact comes in, and Patty G tells him in some truly bad ADR that this is the last time. Uh, he then Tell him it's the last time. It gets on a train. <laughs> this is where we kind of come to realize, okay, this is going to be a very spare, minimalist film with very little dialogue. But mm-hmm. if you are a fan of Magoon, as we are, um, he is still giving you little Magoon actorly ticks. He's not doing them big, but they're there. His little thing where he sniffs as he's, you know, uh, as he fidgets by... Taking this envelope he's just received from his handler and kind of turning it over in his hands several times, which is something that the prisoner would do a lot. The check in question is from American Investments, Inc., (laughs) which is based in Hollywood, (laughs) California. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And is made, made out for 25K, made out to a John Connor. He gets on a ship. We later surmise that what he's doing in this scene is he's crossing the Irish Sea back to Ireland. He makes out a check to a Kathleen Connor for 11K. So already, our, I don't know how she many gets, minutes so that's, that's her cut. Yeah, it's her cut. It's her cut. <laughs> yeah, and it's a, like this isn't alimony or anything. I mean, clearly, because, I mean, divorce was not a thing in Ireland in 1979, 1980, no. was it? No, Didn't it they was just legalize that pretty recently? Uh, yeah. It was like 2000, it was like 1997 mm-hmm. they voted divorce in or something, yeah. So he's doing this out of his own uh, sense of ethical obligation. Mm-hmm. He's not legally compelled. He was always good with money. He was always, and the children. He was always good with money, although he was distant. <laughs> Very patient. Um, it could have been a priest. Could have been a priest of guns. <laughs> it could have been a gun priest. Guns. It could have been a gun priest. A priest. Like they all are. Like that uh, Like that character in Hot Fuzz. Like the, the character in Hot Fuzz. Fuzz. So as we mentioned. There's something about the sound of an Irish woman defending bad behavior in a man that just is so unbelievably heartbreaking and sad to me. Oh, I know you shouldn't uh, shouldn't have put that that album on everyone's iPhone without their permission. <laughs> just just so that we just download automatically. But you know, he just he wants everybody to see the good. In he, people likes people. And, uh, he likes people. He likes people. So yes, if in case you were wondering, listeners, this film does capture the pulse pounding drama of check writing. Uh, so um, yes. I got to say, Patty, a lot of shoe leather in this. A lot, lot of shoe leather. Patty looks yeah. tired here, and maybe that's the character. <laughs> But, um, and maybe it's the drinking, because IMDb Trivia, thank you, Patrick, mentions that the director was a little put off by McGowan and Van Cleef's hard-drinking lifestyle. But it has to be said, those bags under his eyes are steamer trunks. They are big. They are are healthy. Um, Yeah. But he lies there in his little cot, getting an old-school flashback. We don't do this kind of flashback anymore, where it's just voiceover with a reverb on it uh, mm-hmm. and then we see this is actually the little wiggly basically yeah. it's basically that <laughs> and now we see Kathleen and we're assuming she's um, ah Kathleen she's delivering a brief monologue in what looks to be we don't see it yet because we're not going to widen out on this for a while but it's a cellar of some kind 
And every time he'd come back to Ireland, he'd always be trouble. That's just fun. It's just fun to hear the word trouble, which you associate with Ireland I so I love closely. this sort of theatrical thing, like cutting back to uh, Kathleen's like monologue many years later about her terrible marriage to this <laughs> assassin. Like, it's so theatrical. And right. I, I, I and I it. think one of the reasons that is, is that A, Edna O'Brien mm-hmm. is not an actor, but she is a playwright. So she is mm-hmm. delivering this as if it is a theatrical monologue. And this is the first time I wonder, okay, was this actually originally a play? Um, it would have been a really, they couldn't have done the aborted car chases in the right. theater unless it was like, unless you got Andrew Lloyd Webber in the mix. But um, but there is a, it's, I don't want to say it's artifice, it's not artifice, because she's actually quite good. Um, but there is, to yeah. that writing. She was not my favorite Johnny Dollar. <laughs> I prefer Bob Bailey as Johnny Dollar. We cut back to the ship, pulling into Ireland, pulling into Dublin. Uh, we see Kathleen going to the shops with her basket. Um he, this is Connor, this is Patrick McGee, goes into the apartment after she leaves through the back door. He leaves a check on the mantle. We see that he's got two daughters. And this is when we get the cutaway to Kathleen saying he was always good with money. Uh-huh. With the children. Never touched it for myself. <laughs> always for my girls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think Kathleen protests too much about that. Potatoes but for the girls. The... No potatoes for oh, me. Oh, no potatoes. Oh. Um, he takes the shotgun, which Kathleen informs us is the last thing he left in the house, which makes her... I, I like this touch. She's mm-hmm. relieved at that because that means their marriage is truly over and it's done. Um, he drives through some fucking bleak-ass muddy roads to a very remote farmhouse, which is somewhere in County Galloway, which, just so y'all know is on the opposite coast from Dublin, so that's a, like a two, three-hour drive. There is a bleakness to this place, despite some dramatic mountains and valleys. Uh, this is why I just can't get behind that whole lush greens thing, because it is just, it is, I, uh, usually when a character does this in a movie, goes to a lighthouse or a remote place like this, I'm like, yep, I'm in. I love this. <laughs> Did not love this. this Did just not care felt, for this one? Just felt, um... Felt sad, and then when he goes to sleep in a cardigan, which is cinematic shorthand for sad man. Yeah, <laughs> cable knit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Was, uh, yeah. But I, I, I mean, I took that to mean like this is this is an unheated cottage that he lives in. You gotta like he's wearing three or four layers, topped by uh, a big honking wool mm-hmm. shawl to go to sleep. I, that's I just took. I mean, it it's supposed to feel cold, monastic, cold right? It's supposed yeah. to be he's in his fortress of solitude, and and yes. it's. It just, yeah, but to Glenn's point, it's just very depressing. It's really depressing. And (laughs) yes, we will later learn that he knows all that land around his place because I would know the land around that place too because I would Because what else would you do? Fuck out of that cottage (laughs) as much as I could. So a Mr. McNeil arrives at an airport played by Lee Van Cleef, who just looked like he's up to no good because Lee Van Cleef is incapable of looking benign. Um... I was trying to figure out what he reminded me of in this movie and what he usually reminds me of just physically. There's some animal that he reminds me of. And I was like, is it a cobra? There's a little bit of that. There's kind of a drowned possum look to him. Do you guys have any? He's kind of a weasel a little He's bit weaselly. to me. He's very weaselly. He's very I can, weaselly. I can, I can see that. Um, yeah. yeah one, one thing that I, that I really noted about Van Cleef, particularly in this period of his career, is that he did not move like a panther. <laughs> and we're no. talking about an area in which a lot of, like just a just an unaccountably high percentage of screen performers were were noted for their their panther like movements. So uh-huh. 
but not not Lee Van Cee. No, nope, not at all. Not LVC. Is he supposed to be Irish? No, no, no. He's no. not. Okay, right. He's Mr. Well, he's Mr. McNeil. Like they all call him Mr. McNeil, and so I, yeah. I, I just didn't know if this if we had a just not. I'm not doing the accent, guys. He's, I'm not doing it. Like, don't don't try to make me. He's from Hollywood, California. Mm. He's the he's the CEO of American Investments Inc. I think. Oh, that's, that's true. Probably. He's the CEO yes. of American Investment Inc. That's true. Okay, yeah. Um, and he is an international <laughs> warmonger. <laughs> sort of figure out later. Sure. Fomenter. Mercenary? He does a lot of fomenting. He, clearly, he foments. Uh, yeah. Operates some, some kind of international mercenary mm-hmm. service. Mm-hmm. Um, hairless Cat. I'm going to go with Hairless Cat as well. Hairless like. Cat is good. Hairless yeah, cat. I like that. He's kind of like a generic Disney animal villain. Uh-huh. Like I'm thinking uh-huh. of there's the Smoking Weasels, and I don't sure. remember what movie that is, that's in, but that's like that's where I'm kind of at. Yep. Or the, like like, like said, the, the rat that Willem Dafoe played in the Fantastic Mr. Fox. Sure. Oh, there you uh, go. Who's who's hooked on cider. Right. He'll, he'll commit his evil deeds because it's in that golden, cider. golden yep. cider. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. So uh, Joe meets Mr. Uh, McNeil at the airport. We get some riveting meet you at the airport footage here where they go out to the car, they put the car, the luggage in the trunks because time worked differently. In 1979, time worked differently. Like, it's just, it's, I guess we're going to just see all this now. Um, he's the guy who arranges the hits. He is uh, Connor's, I guess, Patty McGee's uh, handler, as we would say. Uh, they want uh, McGee to take out a father... Cressy or Cressley uh, at the airport Sounds on like Sunday. Sounds like Cressy. I think you're right. Okay. Boy, killing a priest. That seems like yeah, another. Yeah, it's pretty. I'm assuming he's not one of those priests whose uh, horrible crimes were covered up for decades. <laughs> in which case, he maybe had it coming. Maybe, yeah, but, right. Uh, there's, there's no suggestion of that in this yep. movie. So, well, there wouldn't be. But yeah. There wouldn't be. So <laughs> Joe says he doesn't want to do it. Lee says, I'll go out and talk to him. And that's exactly what he does. We do get some shots of him driving out. <laughs> we, we don't need shots of Lee Van Cleef driving in the car. Across, no. across Ireland, but, but we, we get got him. him. We get him. But we get him. And he can handle that uh, right-hand drive. Yes, he can. With no <laughs> trouble. Yeah. I was impressed by that. I was like, oh, look at that. So, Go leave um, him, Paddy McGee uh, leaves his cottage, because of course he would, and goes to the local saloon, which is almost more depressing, to read the paper. And Van Cleef, <laughs> yes. Mr. McNeil, approaches. He orders them two. Two whiskeys, please. I think very tall whiskeys. Now, I, I very tall I, they, whiskeys. They, yes. they, they, that seems like yeah. too much of a muchness. Um, even though the glasses are kind of small. This is the first of, of I think three scenes of people reading the paper in a pub. Yep. yep. This is a a, a, re- a motif in this film. If you will. well, this is what, what I thought of because like pubs. nowadays you go in and people are on their phones, but like uh, there's a scene later on yeah. where somebody's in a pub and all they're doing is kind of like caressing their glass because that's all you could do mm-hmm. if you were in a pub alone. What else you going to do? Right. Stare down my book. Drinking, I mean, the, the, the pinball machine has been broken for yeah. Right. You can play darts. You can play snooker, I guess, if they have that. Yep. But they don't. They have a dialogue where he says, I'm out. John. Men like us don't retire, don't they? No, we stay in the action. We stay alive. You've been in the Men like us don't resign. That's exactly how he says it. It's a whole thing. Yeah. And this is where the movie becomes the prisoner yeah, for a little exactly, bit. Exactly. Right. Exactly. This was... Except for the part where Carl Weathers says... Because some damn fool accused you of being the best. <laughs> Which also happens in this sure. scene. The good. Sure, that, that That's quality. But this it is does. it, right? Okay, so he offers yeah. uh, Patty McGee 40K for one last job. This is... I wonder if the one last job thing was already an established thing by this time. I mean, Chris, you might know this better than I. I'm like, the one last job. I'm about to. I'm one job away from retirement. Like that whole. I don't remember. I can't think of. I'm sure there are others. I can't remember it, it being about like this thing as it applies to an assassin prior yeah. to this. 
Um, def- I mean, definitely there are thieves, you know, who are looking for the big score so they can they can get out. One more job, and that's it. I need the best. Get someone else. You're the man. Not anymore. I don't think it was a cliche at this point, but it was definitely. It may have been. Trotten I, this, um, I think it became a cliche uh, in the 80s when it was pretty much a part of every cop or crime. Yeah. Like it, it's... Uh, Anton Corbin, the rock photographer who shot all these classic album covers and everything, he mm-hmm. directed a movie with George Clooney as a, like a, very much in this vein in about 2010 or 2011. And I'm not, I think it was called The American. Yeah. But it was yeah, another thing where oh, Clooney, yeah. Clooney mm-hmm. yeah, Clooney is a, you know, reluctant hitman who is sort of aged into having a conscience and wants to get out but of course his former employers won't let him out won't let him very out, yeah. very very it has that same sort of ascetic vibe that this has and uh, it's a vibe to which i am uh, sympathetic yeah. but i did really appreciate how much this was and i wonder if that's what drew mcguin to the material was how much of this was the prisoner yeah. like he quits he won't say why uh-huh. And he gets forced into a job and then he sort of breaks out in his own like in his own way. And we never really know why he's done. Yeah. Like he never really. There's no inciting incident to that. There's no he just says, I'm done. That's the I last will say, one. I thought he was uh, just done with killing, not just killing for money, but done for killing with killing altogether until he just shot one of the two guys who came after yeah. him in the head. Yeah. It looked initially like he was trying to take them out without killing him yep. yes. so that he could get away. And then he just, just straight up blew that guy's head I off. Mean, yeah. so. we, we do also get, to, to Glenn's point, we don't, there's not a lot. Uh, Patty doesn't have a lot of lines in this movie, so we don't get a lot of great inflection. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we do get in this scene uh, some excellent uh, folding the newspaper <laughs> acting. And, but also, there's a moment where he... Before he says his line to Lee Van Cleef, he shoots his hand across the table in a way that no human being has ever pointed at another human being yep. before. In a ver- and then pauses for what feels like an eternity, and his line the whole time I think is just no, yep. like that's that's the whole bit. But he really ta- he makes a meal out of his pauses, yep. which I really really appreciate. But there's even more to it. I know this is skipping ahead, but what about the the part where he he lifts up his rifle and says like oh just just uh, one more little adjustment one more. yes that is before nice. he just before he knocks more. out uh, that was his guy with very the prisoner that felt like a, yeah, like a thousand was... scenes in the prisoner yeah. in so many ways in yeah. the in the line reading in the way that that blow visibly did not connect with its intended. Yeah, yeah, and in the scene, and how much the other guy should know, you're going to do something with that <laughs> rifle, aren't you? You're going to hit me with it, that. Okay. Yeah, okay. we've already established that you adjust the sight by looking into the sight. We've spent right. several minutes spent of screen time of you time doing this already. That. So yes. what are you, like, why are you holding this at the level of my head? That seems suspicious. But there's even more to the prisoner parallels here, because not only is he, did he retire without saying anything, he is universally regarded as the best, Right. And oh, everybody yes. keeps talking about how yeah. good he is at what he does, which is something they Goddard's always talk the about in the six. There is I mean, what he does here. isn't very nice, okay. but he there is There is violence the, here, but it's largely blood, bloodless violence. That's probably a TV movie thing. Um, and also there is a no sex. No sex at all. No, no romance. No. Not at all. No. This, fact, this movie does not... <laughs> She is physically this removed. This movie doesn't even... We isolate her This movie didn't even cellar. sit down for the Bechtel test. Like, this movie has... Like, <laughs> it's just that. nothing. Yeah. <laughs> rectal test, however. No. Anyway. Um, there you go. Rock and roll. Oh, so, uh, <laughs> uh, Patty refuses. 
he leaves a very tall whiskey, which, you know, if, if, if one wanted to indulge in racial stereotypes, one could say that that's how you can tell that Paddy McGee's an American and not an Irishman, because he leaves a very tall right. whiskey. Right, <laughs> he left the whiskey on the table. Right there. Yeah. Um, when he gets back to the cottage... I'm sure he finished it after uh, Dryhurst called the cut. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it's probably <laughs> Ran right over it. It's probably iced tea. <laughs> Spat it out and went, there. apple juice. Yes, there's a postcard from the girls who are in California. We cut to Kathleen saying he was always distant from the children. Uh, back in Dublin, Mr. McNeil assures his goon Joe that Connor's going to do it. He sends a couple goons to photograph her. Just... What, 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 do we, what about Joe's voice? Did Joe's, uh, I have not checked this, but Joe's voice, it sounded like Alberto Alfredo Celli, the, the guy oh, who Oh, it did, dubbed, yes. In that... Who dubbed Largo and yeah. Thunderball, the, yeah. I hope so, for your sake. Yeah. Uh, it, had, it, it had a very generic VO kind of vibe. Yeah. I did notice that in know. that, in okay. that Yeah, it, it wasn't the, um, oh, come on, the guy who from The Prisoner, yeah, who did so many voices for right, The Prisoner. Right, who was also... You know, like, I've Blofeld named him so many times. What's that guy's uh, name? Him for your eyes only. Um, Rietti, Robert Rietti, yeah, yeah. that's it. yeah. We can do a deal. Steel. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. He sends a couple goons to photograph her. They drive up to her cottage. Um, I'm sorry. He sends two goons and a mustache. Sends I want to be very clear. Two goons and a mustache to photograph <laughs> her. You're ruining this joke, Which Glenn. they do. <laughs> uh, then they drive up to the cottage. Again, just schlepping across Ireland. Why not? Uh, they show him the photo. They pick him back and take him back to Dublin. We see some of that, too. We see a goon nodding off. And I was like... I feel you. It's a, it's a two and a half I, hour drive. I feel like when the thugs show you a, a like clearly a surveillance style photograph of your spouse, and he says, well, "What does this mean?" Like, <laughs> I, I, you, you, you did this for a living. I thought right. you know what this means, motherfucker. But I like, do like uh, Lee Van Cleef's response, which is, "It means you'll do the job." Like, yeah, yeah that's, that's what it means. What, what yeah. he does, he's like, "What does this mean?" And what then he says, "Mind if I change?" This is what I'm expecting him to go into the wardrobe and come out with his flamethrower or something. But no, he, he goes and changes his clothes and just gets in the car. Yeah. I like the de- there's a detail in this in this scene that I really liked that I was expecting to come into play in something. So when he gets to his house in the middle of nowhere the first time, the key is on top of the door yep. jam, and he lets himself in. When they leave, he goes to put the key up and then thinks better of it and puts it in his pocket. Hmm. Now, that never comes into play in any point, but it, it was a really nice detail. I liked that it's, no, like, I, I should have this, like, I shouldn't leave my house vulnerable yeah. to somebody like being that. in it when I get back yeah. or something. You know, it just felt I could see something in there in the character that he was like, I gotta, I'm going to keep this key. Of course, like, these this is not a change. Yeah, yeah, these people are murderers. They could just mm-hmm. climb it through a window. Right. They wanted to, but, you know, sure. Back in Dublin, they map out what the hit's going to be. There is a lot of talk of rifles and scopes, and Paddy does what he does, which when his character is annoyed, he always speaks in a very clipped manner, and uh, uh, there's a lot of... Sharp head movements. Yes. There's, <laughs> there's no other way. There's no other <laughs> way. one of those. Yeah. Uh, goon number one, or probably two by this point, because we've considered Joe goon number one, and then I guess Shane... Love it. Love it. ...his goon number mm-hmm. two. He's suspicious of Connor. LBC says he's just sore. He'll cool down. Um, then five minutes of screen time devoted to the uh, work of mounting a scope onto a rifle. And again, I'm here for it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but come on. I mean, we get some tension of where he's using the the guy as the right. keeps asking him to move. You know, back up, come to the side. The, I mean, there's there's a little tension. No, that's that's there. how you that was you make that scene interesting. Not just by having him fiddle, but by introducing that that tension. Then move to your right. Please. We got back to Kathleen. Uh, 
Guns, or all he ever knew was guns. He could have been a priest of guns. Why is it always guns? <laughs> yeah, what does that mean, Edna O'Brien? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Guns, all he ever knew was guns. His whole family were the same, his father before him. Why guns? I think it was something deeper with Connor. He had this fascination. He was very gentle with them, though. In a way, he could have been a priest. I often said that. There's hammering and drilling, and they go out to a slag pit or something, and there's some target practicing... Uh, what we don't get here, and tell me which films are this is in. I think it might be in Day of the Jackal, but that whole thing about hold your breath with the watermelon. No, no, no the, the like no. count and hold your breath, like that whole when you're when you're sniping oh. somebody. That like it seems like I've seen that in a lot of movies. That's not in Day in Day of the Jackal. There's a scene that I was reminded of here where he tests his sight. He gets a watermelon and he puts it mm-hmm. on a rope, mm-hmm. and he sets the sight by it. That's what I was sort of okay. reminded of. No, but I'm rem- yeah, I know that is that um, it's the professional, isn't it? Might be, yeah. That might be. Where he says, hold your count where, to where three. He teaches, uh, where he teaches yeah. Natalie Portman yeah. to, Leon, to shoot the guy. the professional. Very, yeah, Leon. Yeah. Yes. There's a bit of this in Jack Reacher, too. Sorry, Glenn, but there is. He is dealing with a sniper who he believes is being railroaded for the, the shooting deaths of, of several people. And it establishes that Jack Reacher is a guy who participated in army shooting competitions. Mm-hmm. So he knows about this stuff. And he Robert Duvall's character is a marine sniper. And you know, so there's a lot of talk about the, the art of... Yeah. Snipery. I just know it wasn't Jughead. (laughs) So back at the slag heap, uh, he he shoots, he misses, then he course corrects, and he gets right in the bullseye. Uh, We see LVC uh, leaving for Paris. He trusts that the job will get done. He gives Connor a check for 40K. How do you feel? How do I look? Lousy. That's how I feel. You're doing the right thing, John. Family life isn't for us. Now you get this job done, we'll talk again. There's plenty of action out there. Now, in this scene between them, did it strike you how weirdly Patty McGee was sitting in that chair? He's at a very odd angle. Did anybody notice this besides me? I can't say that I did, but I absolutely he believe is, you. He is at, like, 10 o'clock. He's like, normally you sit in a chair at 12 o'clock, he's sitting in his chair at 10 o'clock. Of course he is. Maybe this was part of the Dryhurst vision, I guess, again, because like I just said, I mean, the blocking of his one scene with, right. with uh, Kathleen is, is super I, I, weird, I, I too. I have a thing that... Maybe Dryhurst hates a two-shot. He oh, really does. He really hates a two-shot. I, I, I have to say that I have this running sort of theory that we love actors we as as fans of movies or fans of theater fans of whatever we love actors who make choices yep. yeah, actors who make choices are always like and and there are some actors you know great actors make choices good and bad actors make faces mm. and but oh. there are certain kinds of actors <laughs> who oh. uh who are a choice Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Patty Lapone is a choice. Yes, when you cast is. Patty Lapone, like or, or Alice Ripley, there's a lot of these in theater. <laughs> Alice Ripley is a choice. Mandy Patinkin mm-hmm. is a choice. Mm-hmm. Like you've suddenly decided the character is going right. to be that. Yes. Yep. And uh, we we have not gotten to the Lapone and Patinkin mm-hmm. cameos yes, yet. But, but we're getting there uh, when he goes to see Evita. Um, <laughs> and Patrick McGowan isn't quite that, but he is. Like in a lot of ways, he is going to do something. In every scene, uh-huh. he is going to do. He's going to make every scene, every moment he's on camera, he's going to make it his somehow. Uh-huh. He's going to do something, 
and you just can't take your eyes off him because of it. And it's... I mean, I agree with you that we were fully justified in spending two hours on the Phantom. <laughs> uh, uh, but thank you. Thank you for saying so. Another, another movie I've not seen. I definitely that. won't. Yeah. But yeah. I enjoyed you guys talking about it. So back in Paris, LVC is planning a commando raid somewhere in Africa. We learn that it is very vital. We learn this from his French contact, who seems to be with the French government, his French contact that uh, Cressy uh, needs to be taken out before he reaches France. Ladies and gentlemen, 40 minutes in, steaks, finally. We yes. Finally, we get actual steaks in this movie. Sort of. Sort of steaks. Steaks that have nothing to do with our main character, but they are steaks. Steaks that will get also walked back immediately as soon <laughs> yes, as... immediately as soon as, But, you know. Uh, back oh, in Dublin, man. Connor, in his little sad little garret, rips up the $40,000 check. Uh, Kathleen, cut to Kathleen. I think he really meant to give it up this time. Yes. Um, we get, you knew it was coming, the trip to the airport. Yes. <laughs> so you keep describing all these things like they're boring, but I have to say, I really appreciated this film's Hell yeah, like, man. Just you know, very deliberate pace. Sense of place <laughs> yeah. is something I value in cinema. It's, it's notable for its absence in, in Yeah, films, I would, I would, know, I would where welcome. Where they're you know, frequently shot, where they're not set, or they're just all on a stage, or whatever, whatever. And I, yeah, I consider that production value. Clearly, this is not a lavishly budgeted production, but I like seeing so much depressing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, it really sets me in. I mean, I really found, because I didn't understand why McGowan was quitting, and they never want, like, they're not, they're not going to tell us. And... I didn't really have a lot of sympathy for him necessarily or any of the characters. I just appreciated the way the movie sucked me into the world that these people inhabit and made me so happy that I wasn't part of it, frankly. Yeah. It just. Yeah. I mean, I think that pace setting is important. You know, I mean, that's how those. I I mean, granted, in this case, it was probably. a practical matter of because it was being made for television, it it had to have a certain runtime. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think the rhythm of those shots that are not, so, you know, putting the luggage in the car and the car driving to the going down the now familiar road. To the, I like that. As you would put it, Glenn, that is telling us how to watch um, I agree that a sense of place is very important. I agree that it's important to be placed in this world. Do I need to be placed on the off ramp to the airport? I don't know. I don't know if I, I don't know if I need, I don't know if I need I to. do feel like I could get around this town now. I'm like, I've seen, I can get from, I can get from Kathleen's house to the airport. Yeah, you totally I think. could. I think if you drop me at Kathleen's house, I could get to the I airport. I like that. I could get it. I would also like to say a brief word for 1970s, late 70s, early 80s Foley work with all the footsteps oh, that yes. you hear oh, in yes, movies yes, like yes, this. Yes. We really miss that. That's a, so many leather soles on concrete. You just don't have that Before anymore. Before we get off this topic, I just I want to point out that Glenn got me a book of movie maps yeah, yeah. once where the author of this book had actually plotted the steps of the protagonists of you know Raiders of the Lost Ark and Alien and, and many films that he knows I love. And there's a little map as though Ripley or whoever was wearing a oh, Fitbit really? <laughs> over the course of the movie where you can look at where they went. And I yeah, love it. That's fun. It's, it's cool. great. Yeah. All right. So they enter. And when I say they, I mean Ryan and Shane and uh, Connor enter the warehouse across from the tarmac where Cressy is going to get on the plane. Uh, they reach the point they need to. Uh, Father Cressy is in his holding area. Uh, we're getting ready to walk uh, onto the plane uh, along the tarmac back in the warehouse. Connor just says he needs one more check and then clocks Shane with the butt of the rifle. <laughs> yes. Not killing him. 
there was so little happening in this movie, I saw things that weren't there okay. a lot of the time. Because when something is drawn, like, attention is drawn to something as a movie viewer, you go, oh, that must be important. Like the thing with the key. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment where Father Cressy leaves his group of friends. Yep. To go get on the plane, even though he's like, by the way, he's supposed to be under like hardcore lockdown by the Irish special services. Uh-huh. Apparently, he's allowed to hang out with friends. Like he's, right. got he's got a lot, of, a lot of well wishers there seeing, seeing him, him off on his. But journey. so, like, he walks out, and then there's a moment where somebody goes, "Father Cressy," and they turn like it's very dramatic. He goes, "You forgot your briefcase," yep. and I was like, "Oh, this is going to be the backup plan. Like, oh, I see. if if Patrick McGowan doesn't pull the trigger." They're going to blow up the plane, which is not as clean, oh. but he's going to be – like that's going to be the backup. And of course that is not – The little girl in The Untouchables yeah. who says you forgot your briefcase right, right before it explodes. Oh, man. Uh, that's a yeah. sad scene. Yeah. But uh, is – yeah, I was really expecting that to be the next thing that happened. Yeah. And then for it to focus in on, okay, now Connor's in trouble because he didn't do the thing mm-hmm. that he was supposed to do. Because as it but is, it's still just a fake out. Crazy. It's just a, a directorial right. Uh, right. fake out. Yeah. See, I, I thought that enormous loaf of bread, of white bread on Connor's table when the two thugs <laughs> come to his house, I was like, "Yeah, there's going to be a, a gun hidden. That bread was stale before those guys finished talking, man. There was mm-hmm. so much moisture in the air. <laughs> <laughs> like, that, that bread is, is uh, just, it commands the screens. <laughs> it's got to come back. He's definitely going to kill someone with that loaf. But nope. no uh, So yeah, Connor doesn't kill uh, Shane, I think it is. He does take his gun. He leaves the warehouse. He sneaks tippy toes into the car but not before he's spotted by shane who is working mm-hmm. lookout uh does, turns out father cressy does get on the plane uh shane calls from a payphone and tells lvc what's happened uh they suspect rightly that connor is headed to his wife's place and that ryan and casey are dispatched to take care of him um lvc then informs his frenchy french contact who, about this who is not as the french say happy uh, in fact, uh, Connor did go to his wife's house. Uh, she answers. He looks at her soulfully, tells her to get a suitcase. Uh, and I mean, we, I guess we should be grateful we don't get a five-minute sock-rolling, panty-folding this... scene here because I was expecting <laughs> we it. Get... <laughs> we have one of those great movie moments where I don't know if they do this on purpose, but like he goes in the house and it's, you know, you're judging mid-afternoon. Yep. When he leaves, it is Midnight. That's it true. is like so dark That's outside. True. And I really kept thinking, like, how long does it take these guys to get like it took him however long to get from the airport to Kathleen's house? Well, I don't know. But how Considering long does that it you take can, the you thugs can cross the there? country in two and a half right? hours. It's not it's just such a they have so much time to pack and get her get her gone. Huh? And then again, like when she got in the cab, I was like, Oh, Lee Van Cleef, like the sun sent goes the cab. down at you know, that was three PM. That's true. Right? It, might, it was just rainy. It wasn't yeah. midnight. It was just barely rainy. But like, there's another moment where I thought, oh, Lee Van Cleef has sent somebody in the cab to pick her up, oh, and she's not going to go. You know, nope, that is not what happens nope. either. Nope. But nope. the minute he does send her off with the taxi... I, I mean, we are much more murderously inclined than any of the characters <laughs> it in this certainly movie. Feels it's, that it's clear. Way. We have diabolical imaginations beyond anything. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, that they, they yeah. But as I was saying, the minute he sends her off in the taxi... That's when the the goons show up, and there is yes. the briefest chase scene in the history of film, where <laughs> they go half a block, and then uh, Connor, what's his what's his strategy here? Connor just kind of blocks the road with his car, forcing them to stop. They exchange mm-hmm. gunplay. Is that what his plan was? That's we're just gonna. 
it looked to me like I, I was not even clear to me initially that Connor was shooting at them. Like it looked to me like the first he got, couple he shoots in the, the car. air. He shoots in the air to draw them I, out. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was saying. Like I, I thought he was just trying to either get them to move or to like make them think that he was in some position where he was not. No, he draw. He definitely fires in the air to draw them out of the car. Okay, oh. like that's his first move. Okay. and then I don't know yeah. after that kind of what his plan is. I really love the fact that these guys pull up. They they have taken a photograph of this woman. At this house. They know this is where she lives. They know what Connor looks like. They pull up to the house. They wait for her to go in the taxi, for Connor to get in his car, and for Connor to slowly drive away. And they give him a lot of time so they can peel out. Yep. They're like, okay, he's a black. Now, go. get. Now we're going to come chase him down. <laughs> they, they're the ones who make it a car chase. <laughs> There is a moment uh, in No Time to Die when I, I thought exactly the same thing. Don't so, I mean, you this, spoil this things This is not me, confined to like low. No, I'm not. <laughs> but what is the relative budget tier of these two films? Oh, right? quite and, it's, and it's exactly yeah. the same problem where, you know, I'm watching this this amazing movie and I'm like, why did you wait till they got in the car to start chasing them? Like you could have killed them yeah. many times over before. Right. You know, you just have to. You just have to so after some gunplay, uh, they chase him into a railway yard. Uh, he takes out goon two three some goon he takes out one of the goons Mm -hmm. um pretty soon but he only shoots the other goon in the knee goon number number three three. he doesn't shoot him in the knee the the goon he tricks the goons into shooting each other does he yeah right it's only me he grabs the one guy and pushes him out and for like Mm -hmm. and the guy goes it's me and he gets shot in the leg And then he kills gets shot in the fucking knee. And then he kills Mustache, right? Which was I was so uh. sad to see Mustache go because I was enjoying that Mustache a lot. Yeah, he reminded me of that dude who played <laughs> Richard Jewell. What's that guy's name? That great actor? Oh yeah, Cole, Cole Hauser. Uh, is that right? Is that right? Is that, yeah, Cole oh, Hauser. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good actor. Good actor. Um, but yeah, um, but he was also in uh, I Tanya. Same, same dude. Oh, that's okay, the guy he reminded me of. So he can pass the message on that his wife is safe. And if Mr. McNeil wants to find him, he knows where to find me. Um, we see his wife getting on a boat. He sees his wife getting on a boat. We're both we're both right. there with him. Uh, and this is, if you're keeping score, the halfway point of the movie. It really, I really have to say, this is the moment where I had to pause to to stop. Sorry, Paul, Paul Walter, Walter Hauser. Hauser. Cole Hauser is a different names. actor. Paul Walter Hauser. Cole Hauser. Yeah, Paul Walter. Yes. Hauser. yes. This, this is because I cannot watch media for you know more than 45 minutes at a time uh due to my lifestyle choices i i this is where i had to stop and i was like oh this is a good place to stop like she's on the boat this yep. and i was and i thought to myself man i've put in a lot like this movie probably only has 20 minutes 30 minutes left in. <laughs> and i was like oh we're at the midpoint okay yep. the moment where as every good screenwriter knows you were supposed to set the clock and raise the stakes and we have done the opposite of both. Yeah. The stakes are getting on a boat and there is no clock. <laughs> we are completely like, this movie could be over yep. now. And I would be like, oh, that's, that was an interesting little story about a guy putting a woman on a boat. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> yeah. So in Paris, uh, in a bar, walk me through this because I'm a little unclear who this guy coming after LVC is. But he's drowning his sorrows. Oh. He's drinking Guinness in Paris, which seems, I don't know. Yeah, it seems, seems yeah. a little. He was asking yeah, for it, it like frankly. Being the, the ugly yeah, Irishman. Yeah. Looking shifty. Uh, the dude at the bar, as I mentioned, is just sitting there staring down at his glass, caressing it. Um, LBC mm-hmm. goes to the, as the French say, lavatoire. Uh, they don't actually mm-hmm. say that. And then the, gal- the guy, the glass caressing dude, 
goes into the <laughs> uh, bathroom and tries to kill him. <sighs> this is obviously where Casino Royale got it, right? This is obviously where... Right. Um, it's the exact same scene. It's the exact, exact same, same amount of tension. There are so many awesome bathroom fight scenes that come later, and this, I'm sorry, does not yeah, rank yeah. among it's them. It's a very large room. They gave themselves a good big bathroom to have yep. a fight in, yep. and they didn't do anything <laughs> Didn't do anything with it. The clearest example of this in my mind is the the fight in True Lies, where a guy tries to shoot Arnold, and Arnold has set up a little little camera like in the corner mm-hmm. so we can see when the guy comes mm-hmm. in. And it's supposed to be taking place in the lavatory of the Georgetown Mall, <laughs> and it is clearly a set because it's it's much larger than for one thing than the real bathrooms at the at the Georgetown Mall. But that's an awesome fight scene. Obviously, the right. Mission Impossible Fallout oh, bathroom fight yeah. is incredible. Yeah, yeah. it's incredible. Because and this is real real disappointment as as a bathroom. Yeah, fight it's real. <laughs> and I, I really did appreciate the. I so I, my assumption is that this is the guy because the the when he when LVC splits up with his French contact the guy says I'll have to check with my superiors mm-hmm. and I extrapolated that he went to his superiors and his superior said nope like mm. we're gonna kill LVC and we'll we'll yeah. take our lumps with Father what's his name we'll, we'll figure it out okay. and uh, that so this is a French assass- you know operative assassin I do really love and and Chris tell me if you noticed this too because I know you notice things like this. That the French assassin has a silencer mm-hmm. on his gun, and mm-hmm. Lee Van Cleef's mm-hmm. uh, gun does not, but still doesn't make any noise when he fires it. Yeah, the the, the Foley department uh, well, has the mean, best kind you know, of silencer. The bartender pretended the not to hear it. Yeah. Right? The bartender right. was like, yeah, okay. Gunplay. And my- then I again, I then thought, oh, the bartender's going to be in it. Like, it's going to be the bartender's going to try to kill him, and we're going to yeah. have another little fight because that fight was so short. Mm-hmm. Nope, he's just going to leave. <laughs> It's just going to leave. Um, and that scene is over now. Yep, that scene is over now and doesn't get referenced again. LVC goes back to his hotel room. He calls to tell Joe that uh, he's sending a group led by Hogan, which is another mustache guy. Who is the best. Yep. Now Hogan's the best. Right. I'm sending Hogan. Well, he's the best. I thought Connor it's was the best. It's hard to hold on to yep. the title. Yeah. You know, got to do it the hard so way. So they're going to go to uh, Connor's place and take him out. Uh, we get some warnings about uh, Connor, right? He's... The best. He knows this place we like get... a bat of his hand. He's a ghost. He's a riddle inside an uh, enigma. He's a special snowflake. Never came up against Connor, did you? He's the best. You'll need those two good men. His place is in the middle of nowhere. Rugged countryside. Mountains, rocks, forests. He knows every inch of it like the back of his hand. And they'll be ready for you. Don't underestimate him. Connor will be playing the game he likes best. He's got all the advantages, except numbers. But he'll seem like an invisible army. Never where you expect him and always where you don't want him. The table setting here is insane. Like, I don't know why Hogan took this job. Like, the only advantage you'll have is numbers, but he'll have the terrain. He's incredible. He'll be everywhere all at once. You'll never see him coming. <laughs> And Hogan, I really wanted All Hogan of the to be like. things that future generations would say about Chuck. It's like, Norris. why don't I bring a hell? It did feel that way after yeah. a while. Like if you can see, if you can see Connor, he can see you. If you can't see Connor, he can still see you. You know, I love this shit so much. As someone who you know has seen way too many Steven Seagal movies, like I want the resume. <laughs> you know? 
The problem is... I want the character who says, like, you don't understand. He fought his way out of the womb. But this is, this is the third time we're getting the resume. And B, as Ken said, we're more than halfway into the movie. I buy into Connor yeah, being yeah, the yeah. best at this point. Or I don't. But you're not going to sell me now. Like, you're not going to get me on there. Not, it's not... I, I can't imagine anybody was like... I mean, I was on the fence about how good Connor was until Lee Van Cleef delivered that 10-minute monologue about how good he was. And now I, I, I believe him. Yeah, he's, but he's probably very good. Again, I'm going to say, as someone who loves this genre, exhibit 75A of Jack Reacher's dominance that would equally apply to John Connor in this movie. Jack Reacher doesn't say, oh, you know, I'm the best. I've got all these skills. Jack Reacher just says, I've got nothing better than you. I'm willing to spend the rest of my fucking life (laughs) waiting in the weeds for you, motherfucker. What what does Edna say? Sort of the the, the patience? Oh, that's later. She she extols his patience as his virtues. Yes, But in the film's defense, Patrick, we've gotten he's the best at his long-range shooting. We haven't gotten that he's basically fucking Aragorn and knows this land (laughs) like the back of his head. This is like a slow version of that scene in The Patriot where Mel Gibson sets up all those rifles and like runs between them very quickly. You're like, where is he? He's all over the place. This is the slow Irish version of that where it's raining and he's... That's not a movie that I have revisited lately, but I did appreciate that he uh, enlisted his young children in his uh, guerrilla campaign in that movie. Oh, you're talking about the Patriot. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the yeah. Patriot. Yeah. Yes. Which is which is you know probably what to you save would, what to you save Heath Ledger. You know. Yep. It's, it's, so guys, you're, you're yes, Hogan yes, yes. in this scene where you've just been told this guy's the right. best and the, your only advantage is numbers. Are, does yeah. Hogan at any point say could 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 I get another guy? Could I get could I get a helicopter? Would have <laughs> been my I thing. Copy? Like, how about a helicopter and a rocket launcher? <laughs> like, why are we? My my whole thing, yeah. Like if you're going, hey, have you seen Skyfall? Right. Because in Skyfall, Javier Bardem brings a There's, fucking helicopter. He does, but he's up against Albert Finney, Judy Dench, and Dan- Daniel Craig. Like that's a that's a quite a force. <laughs> yep. You know what I mean? This is you're up against. No offense when you when you put Finney in there. Right. Yeah, right. Also, Javier Bardem made the terrible mistake of attacking at night. Can we all just agree? Mm-hmm. Like come during the day, mm-hmm. it, everybody can see everything. Yep. But. There's this this weird things that movies like this do. Like, I get why we're doing it this way. We don't have the budget to shoot the actual all-out assault. This is also not the climax. Mm-hmm. Like, the climax is coming. So we can't we can't have this set piece be huge. Otherwise, Lee Van Cleef's House of, House of Mirrors that's coming up won't have any weight to it. But it does feel sort of just like the, uh, another movie. Like, why did you park the car there? Another movie decision. Like, yeah. we're going to send three guys with really big machine guns. Mm-hmm. Why don't we send ten guys with <laughs> flamethrowers and blow, just blow up the countryside? Yep. Like, why don't we, if we want to kill Connor, let's kill Connor? I ask myself this in every movie, more so in movies that I love. You have to mm-hmm. accept it though, because this is like a martial art film where everybody kind of gathers around the hero in a perfect circle right. and go at him one at a time. So, That's just it's part of the deal. You have to do. And I did like the execution of this scene. I did I like did the, the way he he like you don't see him killing. You hear him. Yep. You hear two shots, and the other two guys mm-hmm. are dead. Like it's a really really great. And he's leaving like the trails of the rappers over here to trap, like to get the guys to move around and mm-hmm. separate. It's it is yeah. yeah. And I, and I mean I did sort of believe the uh, environment mm-hmm. of this uh, combat. Mm-hmm. 
here, which is another thing that's really conspicuous for me. Like, like the end of Patriot Games, for example, is very similar to this, except you're like, you know, this house is not all that big. Right. Like, it's not that uh, you couldn't hide from someone for half a fucking hour in this house. You know, you're going to kill one guy and then the other 10 guys are going to hear you and come kill you. That uh, little bit of verisimilitude to, to this. But that that's the scene, right? So Hogan and the two guys show up. They hut, 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 hut. They serpentine, serpentine, yes. serpentine all <laughs> around do. the map from rock to rock. A lot of this, a lot of hand motions like, over there. You go this yeah. way, yep. right? This is fun. You know what they should have done? I think they should have deployed a temporal pincer yeah, sure. movement. Mm. Temporal pincer movement. Oh, my God. I think that, that would have got even. the job um, done. So this is fun cops and robbers <laughs> stuff. And yes, I am gay, but I'm also a boy. And so this this just, I don't know. I don't know. It just, it just uh, I love it. I kind of I love it. a red-blooded American. A red-blooded American. Um, right. So he takes them out because, of course, he does. But he only takes out two of them. He leaves Hogan, who skulks off and reports back to LVC. That Joe, his tail between his legs. That they never stood a chance, which no. he was just told. Mm. Um, Hogan offers <laughs> <laughs> to just, I'll just go and stake out the house. <laughs> so, didn't right. work with three people. He'll come back. He'll have to come out eventually. <laughs> <laughs> didn't work with three people. I'll work with right. one. Just me. Yeah. That's what's. Just that's me. that's how I'm going to solve this puzzle. That's how you solve a yeah. problem like Maria. I'm just going to go. <laughs> By Madame Self. Oh, man. But LBC is way I, ahead of him. LBC is like, nope, that's fine. You do what you need to do, Bubby, but I just, just let him know where I'm staying, and I'll take care of it. Um, so here's my question about this scene, though. So he says to Joe, his his right-hand man, either says take care of him or pay him off. I don't remember what he says about Hogan, but he says to, like to basically wrap it up. Mm-hmm. And then he walks out into his separate room and like stares pensively out the window, and I thought... So wait, did they kill Hogan in the other room? Like, is that paying him off, or did they actually like give him money and tell him to go home? Yep. I couldn't quite I think figure that out. They just paid him off because I, they just okay. OBC has moved on they to his other plan, which and... is the the end game of, um, of yes. Skyfall plan. Which it is, is Skyfall, which is Skyfall Home Alone plan, plan <laughs> which is to just it, is, it yeah, really is yeah, Home Alone. It's right. more Home Alone than Skyfall. <laughs> 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 um, it's like I knew I did a good idea installing that speaker system into my house. It's finally coming <laughs> it's really into play. Pissed, these, my wife said I was crazy. All these standees we have up on our attic for no reason. So someone delivers a note to Connor uh, to meet a Mr. Devane in Dublin. We show uh, Lee Van Cleef saying, let him know where I am. And then mm-hmm. the next scene is that happening, which right. doesn't happen in this movie a lot. <laughs> no, this is the fact. The, other... the movie does pick up pace. It does it pick does, up pace at does. the end, I will say. Yeah. And then it, uh, then it slows right down where he would go into his shed he loads a shotgun. Gets out a shotgun. Now, I always forget that in the UK, guns are you know, like not a thing. And right. so I, I would suppose that like shotguns are okay because you can hunt with a shotgun. But revolvers are mm-hmm. verboten, right? That's the thing here? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I thought you actually, even your hunting weapons like had to be stored at a police oh, station. Well. And you check them out when you're going hunting and you bring them back when well, you're... That's probably, well, we are in Ireland. I don't know what the rules are in Ireland, yeah, obviously. But that, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's probably why uh, there's right. such a whole production of going to the shed. Right. Where he yeah. stores his fire. There's with. a great... I don't know how much British 70s television you've ever watched. Have you ever watched The Sweeney? Not enough. Which was the kind of like hard-boiled action cop show starring... Um, oh, man. What's his name? Who played Inspector Morse. Um, John Thaw, and it was his big outbreak as an actor. It was in the show called The Sweeney, which they made a movie out of with um, uh, what's his name from Sexy Beast? Everyone's name is escaping me today. Uh, 
but it's the more <laughs> Ray Winstone. Yeah, Ray, Ray Winstone. That's exactly right. And it was it was an action cop show where he was like the hard boiled, very American style. Oh, but there's great scenes oh, in that show because the cops don't carry guns. Mm-hmm. Where there's always a section in the show where he has to go get the guns, mm-hmm. and to get the guns, they have to get permission to get the guns. So the whole show has to like slam on the oh, brakes, like in like in Watchmen, yeah. like in HBO. So you have to like. He's got a, like this action packed show is building extreme pace, and then you got to see them do some paperwork. And then the old guy walks over to a cabinet and like unlocks it, opens it up, and they very respectfully like take out the weapons. They have to check them out, and then they run back out the door to get the bad guys. But it's it always like it's so a turning point badass. in the show, like that they have to go get oh guns. God. And it's a real, like, it's such a great, like, man, things were different. <laughs> different, different. In, in, Across the I don't bond. care whether this series is available on uh, any streamable format or not. The Sweeney is a, it's a, it's a, it's so British right. in that other if way. If I have though, to buy great. a fucking VHS yeah. player on eBay to watch the Sweeney, <laughs> I, will, I will do it. Rent it from a library in Dorset, I guess. And it's cock, it's Cockney rhyming slang, which is great. It's called the Sweeney because they, oh they, they are the flying squad and that rhymes with Sweeney Todd. So they called them the Sweeney. Uh, I mean, it's, wow. yeah. it's, it's it's kind of a slant rhyme. I mean, it's squad and time, well, sure. It, yeah. but like, okay. We're going to have to work out a schedule uh, to cover this. How many <laughs> how many series of the Sweeney, Patrick? Is it- Let's see. The Sweeney ran for four series, 53 episodes okay. from 1975. Oh, totally manageable. And then two theatrically released movies. And some heartwarming Christmas episodes because they always do heartwarming Christmas. Yeah, probably, Christmas. right. <laughs> yep. All right, so. Yes, that's the Sweeney. Connor turns up in (laughs) Dublin. He's braver than I am because I wouldn't just be jaunting into Dublin when three dudes have come gunning for me. But he he meets this guy, Tommy, Mr. Danvers, whatever his name is. Um, This is where we see that. uh, Do you think those three dudes ever referred to themselves internally as three the hard way? Uh, I don't know. Uh, How would you do three the hard way? You're talking about dice? I thought you were talking about craps for a second. You can't do three the hard way. Three the hard way is a separate movie. Oh, uh, okay. No, Sorry, no. I was thinking three, about... Three the hard way is a exploitation film so, from the, the same era. Paul Thomas Anderson did eight the hard right. way. And Paul Verhoeven did uh, four the hard <laughs> way after... Uh, yes, that's why I spent that time in prison. Uh-huh. Chris, when you right. look back on this and you see all the, uh, the sound waves from the different uh, mics, you'll see a silence, <laughs> a, a kind of a lack of a waveform. Yeah, and you'll think, did Glenn press mute? Yep. No. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. There were two mm-hmm. sets of footprints on the beach. No, that <laughs> one was when Glenn t- went off to, t- to take a swim while we were, t- while we were talking about dice. <laughs> Our friend Casey was on stage when we were all asked, what does your silence sound like, ah. Glenn? And now, now yep. you've told us. Well, hello, darkness, my old friend. Okay. So in this brief scene where there is a mild interaction between John Connor and a woman... We see and a woman who he knows that John Connor is not, shall we say, smooth. No. <laughs> he looks so shrunken and and fearful. Hey, hey, good to see you. How are you? Um, oh, oh yeah, good to see you. May I have oh, this dance? How are you? Yeah. This is this is a scene that has a nice ambiguity to it because this guy he's meeting first asks if he wants backup. Uh, mm-hmm. And then he says, "No, it's a private matter." But we also get that maybe this guy is selling him out, right? This guy—I don't trust this guy. I don't, I, I, yeah, I, not I, at I all. think we're not supposed mm. to trust this guy. I think this guy is uh, a mover and a shaker, uh, an opportunist. And he says, "No, it's a private matter." Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But and speaking of private matters, uh, the this estate uh, that Lee Van Cleef has yes. uh, has held up it is pretty fucking sweet. Yes. Um, it is really really nice. It is. I am a big yeah. fan. I would love to know. But that's a private manner, Glenn. It's a private uh, manner. It's, it's the manner. it's the joke I just made, Chris. That's the yeah. The, they sound they sound similar. Sounds similar. Homin- that's a private it's manner. A homonym, Glenn, not a okay. private matter. Uh, he, 
this does have a very like this is the knives out murder house like he's in yeah, this yeah, really yeah. great it's, labyrinthian kind of like kind of setting and i really really liked that i was like there's no furniture uh, oh i was so happy with yeah, that. i was like this is great this is property owned by a criminal we're just like there's money in this land, so we can launder it, it somehow. I really like stuff a while like that. for me to warm to this film. I'm going to tell you, but this, I love everything about this. I love everything yeah. about this finale. It is not <laughs> pulse pounding, but it doesn't need to be. What it is is smart. It is very, very yes. smart. Okay, so yeah. we get a VO from Kathleen. He was so patient. Um, and uh, we now see that she's in some kind of cellar talking about how, how uh, he was patient, but he has changeable moods. And we get how they met and how he'd go away for days, weeks at a time. Hmm. Um, that night... It was a waltz. No, it was a foxtrot. Two dances you would never mix up if you really knew how to dance. <laughs> that night, uh, Lee Van Cleef turns on some lights, leaves other off, opens the door, waits for Connor yeah. to make his move. Um, uh, Connor creeps through the garden. And here's the smartest part of this movie, my favorite part of this movie. Uh Lee Van Cleef positions himself at the fuse box so he can turn off lights in different parts of the house without moving, signaling to somebody watching from outside that he's moving through the house when, in fact, he's staying right exactly where he is. Yes. I really, I have to say, this got me. This is this so really, smart. I, I was sort this. of like, I was kind of like, what is he doing? Yeah. Why have many other movies not borrowed this? This is a really, this really is good worth idea. worth borrowing. Um, I think because the most unle- unbelievable thing about this is a well-labeled fuse box. Yeah. Like that it's just, it actually <laughs> yep. does. I live in a one-bedroom. I have two rooms and a bathroom. And every time I go to the right. fuse box, I'm like, God, which one is it again? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is unbelievably clever, yeah. this, this sequence. So yeah. uh, Connor enters the house. Lee Van Cleef taunts him. I knew you wouldn't disappoint me. been easy so far hasn't it Connor? apparently he's a ventriloquist because he doesn't know where the voice is coming from because you could just follow where the right. voice is coming from but let's leave that aside suddenly we're in man with a golden gun yep yep, yep. Just come come Mr. Yeah. in a way we're also at the end of um lady from shanghai uh a little bit yes a little bit very much yes. yeah the, the classic mm-hmm. the mirror so he thing. turns on the lights in a nearby room which is just basically leading connor through a room with a dummy wire through a room with a smoldering cigar through a room with a mirror Lady from Shanghai. Um, mm. And then to a tripwire that shoots him in the shoulder, which uh, causes him from now on to have to cock the shotgun with one arm. Yes, with one hand, which is great. <laughs> I am here for that. This I am is absolutely here for that. This is kind of a badass thing that you could see some kind of 80s action star having to do, right? Linda Hamilton does exactly okay. that at the end of T2. Okay. Which my, my 11-year-old heart stopped in its chest when she <laughs> runs out of bullets in that scene. Oh, my gosh. Yep, yep, yep. So they Seeing that do the exchange gunplay. There's some cat and mouse some more. Um, he gets sh- another shot in the shoulder, and he falls down. Uh, and then uh, Lee Van Cleef uh, loads his revolver and goes in for the finishing blow. And uh, check me on this, but Connor feebly picks up the shotgun. And from the floor, and also from around the corner, right? He is shooting. It's blind. a no look shot. It's, it's a, a no look, look shot. shot. Okay. Yes. He, yeah. he gets uh-huh. Lee Van Cleef right in the chest, and then he gets him again yep. with the revolver. They both dead. Man. Yes. This wasn't, there was no. You know, shotgun shells, you don't have to be yeah. super accurate. I, I feel like that moment was as unbelievable as it was. It was earned. We had set up that Connor's really, really good. Lee Van Cleef is making a lot of noise and they yep. kind of go out of their way to make, like, again, there's a lot of footprint, mm-hmm. uh, footstep sounds. The gun is making a lot of noise as he's loading it and I think that, yeah, 
the I think Connor at least is believing that even if he doesn't hit him, the shock of it will mm-hmm. get by him enough time to get his revolver out and put Lee Van Cleef away. Mm-hmm. So yes, I really like that. I really thought this whole sequence worked incredibly well. Uh, paid for the entire movie. Uh, paid for scenes where people put suitcases in the backs of cars. Um, and it wasn't done with a lot of the typical tricks you would get. It wasn't done with, I'll say, a lot of the crutches you get. Like, it, the music here is used really sparingly, and the music is Brian Eno's music for films in most cases. Right. And it's used really sparingly, as the whole movie is kind of spare. And it's not its not pushing you. It's not goading you. It's not trying to, you know, fake you out. It is, I don't know, I just really, I just really dug it. Yeah, I thought the only thing I did not like about the ending was the little walk down memory lane because it didn't pay anything off. Like the the fake wire and the don't touch the cigar. And, you know, like it didn't – there's a little bit of that early when Lee Van Cleef is like, you owe me because I pulled you out of the gutter and I did this. You know what I mean? But it's not really – it's not really it's not really brought up enough. I don't feel like they earned that, but it's a small complaint. Uh-huh. It is a really small complaint. Like I like it would have almost been better to me if if Lee Van Cleef had not been narrating those moments. Yeah. If we'd just seen the fake tripwire, if we'd seen the cigar, we'd seen Patrick McGowan react to it, because he's definitely gonna react to it because uh-huh. it's in the same frame as him. <laughs> and sort of let us know that he's seeing traps right. where there are no traps you know like or maybe they are traps and we don't quite understand right but i like that about the scene that magoon was clearly walking knew he was walking into something where he was outnumbered mm-hmm. like he was he didn't have the advantage mm-hmm. and he does it anyway yep. which is the whole point of edna's little monologue there right. that he was patient but he wasn't that patient right, exactly. <laughs> and then we we cut back to kathleen again saying he never brought me anything but sorrow now we pull back to see that she's in a church, a chapel, I guess you'd call it. Right. There's this man who doesn't look like an undertaker. I don't know. This guy looks like a yeah. reporter. He's got he's got a trench coat and a hat, and he's going to show her where the tombstone is. And then it should have been somebody we'd seen before. It was my been, note here. Right? She should have been talking to somebody, been... but there's nobody, right? There's nobody. Well, she could have been. So it, it, I, I thought about it. Like the one, the person I wanted her to be talking to was Joe, hmm. or the. But that would have given the scene an ominous touch. Yeah. Like we thought maybe she'd be in trouble. So we don't want that. Right. She could have been talking. So the only, the only other character she could have been talking to is the guy from the bar that we met right before the house scene. And that wouldn't have made any sense. Like that's not. And if uh, it was the girl from the bar, they still wouldn't pass the Bechdel test because they're just talking about – she's just talking about Because they're him. talking about Connor the whole <laughs> yeah. time. Yes, exactly right. Um, yeah, it's just – yeah. So there's nobody – There's no. but it should have been – then it should have been a priest. I don't know why it wasn't that, a priest. It should have been a priest. Because other, she's yeah. confessing, basically, right? She's basically... basically. She's, she's kind of whinging about, he never treated me right, and he was always distant from the children. And he loved his guns. He should have been a priest gun. Um, but this film concludes with them walking, heading off to visit his tombstone, and her saying, he belongs here in the mountains. That's where he belongs, in the mountains. Such a waste of a man. Such a waste of a man. Like such, that is devastating. Such a waste of a man. This is, I, it's, it's, it's in my repertoire now. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna add such a waste of a man. Such a waste of a man. But I want to completely psychically disembowel somebody, whether or not they're living or dead. My God. Right. That's a, it's a harsh one. This does have that kind of holdover. 
70s morality to it that where like the bad people all needed to die uh-huh. they can't get away with the crime he can't escape the murder house and go be living in scandinavia or something yeah. you know what i mean and sending her checks he has to die there has to be there's another another movie that i, I kept thinking this was going to imitate there's another actual sydney lumet sean connery movie called the anderson tapes oh yeah which is not yeah you know the anderson mm-hmm. tapes so the anderson oh, tapes is, is, a, anderson is a wonderful tapes. half of it is fantastic it's a heist movie and, and the heist half is amazing but there's also all this stuff in it about the surveillance state which i'm sure in 1972 was shocking and nowadays yeah. is, is just is nothing um but one thing that happens, spoiler alert for the end of that movie, is at the end they all have to be punished for committing the crime. Mm-hmm. They can't get away with the, the crime. And it is uh, it is a kind of a bizarre ending to that movie where you just expect somebody to get away with something. And it, it just gets kind of unnecessarily tidy at the end. And this is sort of that little how that felt to me. I mean, I sort of like that. Decades later, the production code mm-hmm. came back. Yeah. <laughs> like everyone needs to get Everyone their, needs to get there. You can't reward crime. Yeah, you yeah. can't. I don't know what the first movie was that really broke through. I mean, I guess it was probably The Godfather in a, in a lot of ways, but like that that mm. made that. This is kind of late for that. I mean, it's 80. Like, I think you were allowed to get away with crime. But by, yeah. if this movie, to your yeah. point, Patrick, if this movie was made in the late 80s or early 90s, Kathleen would be home and she'd get a check in the mail. For, right, for mysterious dollars, and like, oh, right, he's, still from, he's still out there somewhere. That's exactly what would happen because you know <laughs> the eighties. I don't like that up. he tore up the check. I gotta say, the forty thousand yeah. dollars or forty thousand pounds, which in today's money would be approximately three hundred thousand dollars. Yikes! I did look that up. I always look that up. I didn't yeah. this time, so I did so look that. You, I had to do two conversions. I had to do pounds. Yeah. It would be about two hundred thousand pounds in today's money, which is almost three hundred thousand dollars. And how many? How many stone? Is how many stone? Or how many? How many guineas? Yeah. That's what you got to figure out. Really. <laughs> oh, damn it. I wish he had have given that. That's why they lost their fucking to his uh, right to his kids or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's a. I get why he tore it up. It feels like a very Magoon move too. Like the honor, he won't do the job, so he yeah. won't take the money. Mm-hmm. It's that's. It's also the indication of the audience that he's not going to kill the priest. <laughs> right. Like that he's going to do something. Right. He's not taking the money. Yeah. And I get why that's there, but I'm still like, man, that's a just you know your kids really could have used them. <laughs> Yep. That money. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Cash the check. Also, it's a check. The kids like show up and there's a brand new hockey <laughs> something in California. They're put in a swimming pool where, where they're like staying. John you know, Connor yeah. Memorial Swimming Pool. <laughs> the John Connor Educational Fund, where we teach the kids to shoot skeet. It's really, really a. It's a good time. They all could be priests. Priests of guns. Yes. Right. It's good for the future. The John Connor that uh, does not have a computer line. <laughs> Well, it's all like the, woodworking and the um, John Connor shooting range yeah, and no kissing facility. Don't you dare kiss anybody. We don't go in for that sort of tortoise. Hang on, we don't go into that torta thing here. Torta thing. Torta thing. I like that there's so little dialogue. I do have to say, some of the dialogue that's in here is pretty hokey. Uh, when somebody how says, how much of that is Lee Van Cleef? Though, no. I mean, how much of that is? When, you know, when Captain Overstatement, <laughs> right? But when when Liebig yeah. is talking to Frenchy guy and he says it'll be taken care of, and then Frenchy guy says it had better be, and you're waiting for it. You know it's coming. <laughs> dot dot dot. He walks off screen. He walks into shot, yeah. and he says, "For all our sakes." And you're like, "Oh, yeah. oh god, <laughs> <sighs> oh god, oh god." <laughs> Wasn't breathing. Right. Resolve, Resolve the cord. Resolve the cord. The Emperor is not as forgiving as I am. I hope so, Commander, for your sake. <laughs> but that's all part of the movie, like the genre. It's the part of the genre. Like, this is that, where yeah. we're living. Yeah. yeah. 
I, I do say it's funny that you think if you eliminate the Edna O'Brien sections, and this movie has virtually no score, as we say, which I found very interesting, mm-hmm. the lack of score. It would essentially be a silent Brian movie. Eno actually composed all of the uh, 24 track silent passages. <laughs> like he, he recorded all he of the nothing that we're, we're yeah. hearing. There. That's what I wish he'd done for yes. his song to, in the SpongeBob musical. Uh, okay. he, instead, he wrote a song. I like in the credits, though, I stayed all the way through the credits, that all the songs are listed individually, and not only the songs and who wrote them and who performed them, but where, what album you can find them on, how you can oh, buy hey. these songs. They're available. That is very I like helpful. that. I know they don't do that on modern movies because they want you to buy the soundtrack. It's not a, the hard way. No, there was not. Picture. There was no score and soundtrack. If you went looking for it, you probably got a title song by by it would, it would, Cool J. Leading it would have to, to be uh, my confusion. favorite uh, my favorite kind of album, which is music from and inspired by The Hard Way, starring Patrick. Yes. <laughs> All right, let's give it a Clancy Brothers. Music from and owned by right. the same conglomerate. Things we have the rights to from the studio. <laughs> who brought you? Um, okay, let's 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 do these uh, final rankings. Going to start with the guest. Oh, zero man. to six. Zero to six. I'm going to give it a five. Okay. I'm going to give it a solid five. I would almost go higher. Most generous. It is Most generous, generous, but I really have to say that everything we said about this movie is true. That it is like it's shoe leather to death, it is plodding in parts, can be very slow and onerous, and there are moments in it that are you know movie things that don't make a lot of logical sense however i was there for it mm-hmm. the whole time i wanted i had to watch this movie yep. in three sittings and each time i was very much like <laughs> when am i going to come back to it i was really just like looking forward uh, to finishing wow. this movie i in a way it wasn't ever like oh god i have to finish that before i talk to glenn and chris it was like i really want to finish this i want to see how this comes out and i yeah. this movie runs 85 i know it's a, it's a tidy 85 mm-hmm. yeah but it's a it could have been 42 <laughs> without too much that's effort. True. You know, it was originally a danger. And it did. So. That's true. And it did. It sticks the landing. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of you can forgive a lot of movies that, that do stick the landing. And I was like, it was going somewhere. And it, 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 yeah, it has a great finale. So, yes. And it's free on YouTube. So, recommend five there out of six. That. Yeah, movies used to know how to fucking end, man. You know, mm-hmm. I, I watched, I'd never seen it before, and I watched Poseidon Adventure yeah. the other night. And that movie ends with the survivor of the ship getting on the helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> Credits, yep. you know, there's not four more scenes. Of, and then we went back and found the heart of the ocean or, yeah. the, you know, whatever. It's the David Mamet school. It's the, it's the when the movie's over, the movie's over. Mm-hmm. Like, roll the credits. Yeah. I don't care if we're mid-scene. Yep. I don't care if we have no pathos. The movie is over. <laughs> yep. Stop. Right. We've hit 100 minutes. We're done. All right, Chris. Give me a ranking. Uh, I'm going to oh, give it to four. Not quite a as, gentleman's uh, four. As, yes, a gentleman's, gentleman's four. four. Not not quite of enamored of it as our guest Patrick, but yeah, sorry, that was uh, <laughs> it was doing so well. Um, it did. It fell apart on it you. Did. There. It did. Pick it up and take it back home again. We'll see what it does. The drink. It does. Uh, it does some yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh dear. <laughs> four. Solid four. four. Okay. Enjoyed it. Fire. Enjoyed it. Like this genre. Like the execution. Like Hangdog. P. McGee mm-hmm. and. L. Van, Vic Van yeah. C. It's a four for me. Uh, I like that this is, movie is as brooding as it is. I like that it's as minimalist as it is. I'm not crazy about the fact that it's as deliberate as it is. But I do love the fact that I don't feel guilty that we're foisting this upon listeners to this podcast because there is some solid McGowan content. Yes, there is. I feel yeah. a little guilty about foisting the Phantom on our listeners because there's just... 
the three scenes, maybe? And he's just kind of cocking an eyebrow in them, and that's kind of mm-hmm. all you get if you want, if you love the Magoon. This is going to give you quality Magoon. It's going to give you resonant tones of number six. Yeah. It will show you this guy at a place in his career where he's making weird choices. I mean, this is an odd choice. I mean, Mm -hmm. it is of a piece, however, with Columbo, I guess. I mean, you could imagine, like, the scenes where he's field stripping his rifle are kind of like the scene where he's the commandant of that boys' school and he's loading the Mm -hmm. cannon. Loading the cannon, yeah. With thing. Sabotaging that shell for six Six minutes. minutes. (laughs) Um, So I... It's going to be, I, I'd love to give it a tree, just because I'd be. I'd love to be able to say tree. <laughs> the accent but uh, yeah. I can't. Yeah, what's the poem about a tree? What it's is not, it? what is it? uh, I, I think that I shall never see a poem as lovely as a tree. Yes, that's it. Uh, that's it. That's it. Uh, I'm going to give it a four. Also a four. Yeah. Good. Indeed. Quite enjoy. Yeah, would, and again, it's free on YouTube. Like, it's... Yeah, that's the thing. We should tell people it's free on YouTube. I could see it. I watch it on Amazon Prime, which was a mistake because these very peppy My Little Pony commercials come up in the middle of it, which are oh, wow. um, disquieting. And for a thing that was that was actually originally a TV movie, I guess in, in Britain they don't have commercials, right? They don't interrupt things no. with commercials. So, okay, that makes sense because these, these – well, if they do, there there were some there were some moments where it sort of faded to black for a That's second. Which maybe if it was ITV, it, it may have like short commercials like right. in the middle. But yeah, if, if it was BBC, it didn't have it would not have commercials. I will repeat my call to the streaming services: show these things with their original period authentic. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that would make me so <laughs> well, that's happy. What, that's what YouTube can do. That's you go to YouTube for that. That is, I, I yeah. gotta say, like I, I I think that we spent I spent so much so much of my misspent youth editing commercials meticulously out of things I was taping off television, and now all I want are the commercials that yeah, came. Yeah, no, content. I know. I mean, I I was so proud of myself for recognizing that tiny extra little millisecond pause that meant the yeah. ads were finally done, and you could hit the pause button again, and and no feeling worse than when you realize you forgot to unpause, and you're like a minute into the <laughs> the following scene. Oh, oh man. Just, but now I look back, I'm like, gosh, I want those. I had a, a rabbit hole. That my son is deep in, into uh, Guys and Dolls right now. It's his, it's his musical of the moment. Wow. And so oh we've been God. digging into a lot of Nathan Lane. You're just in, indoctrinating your I absolutely your am, man. I don't have to. This, this stuff's free around the house. Um, he just stands there and screams, you are right. I learned it by watching you. <laughs> we did a, a Nathan Lane rabbit hole on YouTube because he obviously knows Lion King, so he knows Nathan Lane's voice. And we found all of Nathan Lane's old NyQuil commercials. Oh, wow. All of which I remembered. I just didn't remember <laughs> that it was Nathan Lane. And it was a shocking moment okay, of nostalgia. I didn't, I didn't know that was... You can, uh, if you YouTube Nathan Lane YouTube, NyQuil commercials, and you'll go, oh, I've seen all of these a thousand times. I just didn't know at the time. That's Nathan Lane. That's who that you know. That's who that is. Uh, the guy uh, who played yeah. George Costanza. What's his name? Jason. Jason Alexander. Jason Tons of commercials. Tons of commercials. Tons of commercials. The guy who sang the original song for the McDLT. The hot stays hot. The cold side stays cold. You ever come down and you just can't have what you... I don't remember what the lines are, but I remember the tone the very, tone very is, well. Yeah, the tone is the very... The tone is very... very <laughs> in a white blazer and hair. Yep. He is almost unrecognizable. Yep, 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 yep. yep. My father and I loved the McDLT. We would go to the McDonald's on Concord Pike and get McDLTs. Oh, the McDonald's uh, on Concord Pike. I know well. McDonald's on Concord Pike. Yes, I'm pandering to my to my host uh, here uh, a little and, bit. And uh, yeah. boy, that styrofoam. There was just that was a, a superfluity of styrofoam. 
that is now filling up landfills and will never wow. styrofoam styrofoam and orange drink yep. All the right. big thing i remember not content to keep the patriarchy uh, propped <laughs> up glenn you also want to make sure that patrick's children will have nothing to inherit yes and a, and a that, that they will inherit that, uh, the, yeah, the rotting yeah. crater that they will that they will inherit yeah, yeah, I mean, God knows. Like, I sure hope they have a John Connor to, uh, <laughs> to lead them, them through the uh, and, and organize and uh, yeah, take out yeah. some foreign dignitaries. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just Mitch McConnell. Let's just get rid of Mitch McConnell. We'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Not to get too overtly political. Yeah. In this. <laughs> he looks like he already stared directly yep. into yeah. the arc, right? I mean, that's a, he's the he's the, he's he's the, the best him. argument uh, the, that we're the, living too long yeah. as, as a race. Well, I think true. he's. Yeah. The, yeah, that's that's the, the feeling I've, I've had. Speaking of living too long, no. what's next, Chris? Oh my! Oh yeah, um, what is next? Well, Patrick has already shared with me his copy of Catch, Catch Myself. My yes, <laughs> which I, will, I, uh, but I, I told I, Chris originally that I wouldn't come on the show unless you could do something that was somehow about Shakespeare and a musical at the same time. And oh my God, that does exist, mm-hmm. and it's all directed by Patrick McCoon. <laughs> Elizabeth, I, I don't want her to incur any late fees at her library, so I, I think we have to do Mary right. Queen of Scots next. Okay. And I concur. I'll, I'll try to figure out a way to get it. That's what I'll try to do. I'm excited to hear Alexandra Petri talk about Braveheart. <laughs> you guys. Mm. That excites me a lot. It's gonna be great. <laughs> it's gonna be gonna be so great. I'm I'm excited to to make Glenn watch. Gl- have you never seen it at all, Glenn? Never seen it. I'm not gonna spoil it for you, but it contains my favorite Patrick McGowan line delivery of all time. Okay, well, that's saying something. Which is not something I had before yeah. I started listening to this show and watching The Prisoner. <laughs> <laughs> but and now looking back on it, I go, it's a line I used to quote all the time from that movie, just because of the way it's delivered okay. by him. All and right. it, yeah, all it's right. it's astonishingly good. And I think you'll know it the second you hear it. <laughs> you hate Scotsman famously. I, yeah, yeah. Patrick is mostly a very tolerant person. They're so but, cheap, uh, and they never give a very, them money. very specific opinion about what they want to borrow money from you. And it's just you know, all this <laughs> there's a whole Monty Python episode about how cheap the Scots are. It's yep. really, really weird, and how bad they are at tennis. These are two different episodes yeah. of Monty Python. Wow. <laughs> they fight. Uh, they, they play. There is an actual Monty Python sketch, not to get too far off the thing, but where there's the Bamange. The Bamange is turning people into Scotsmen. Yep. And the line that Graham Chapman has is, "Why would someone become a Scotsman?" And the the female assistant goes, "For tax reasons." Mm. And he goes, "No, no, only because they had no control over their own destiny." It's like. <laughs> Damn, man, it's <laughs> a country you're talking about that you share a border with. Can you be cool for like a second? <laughs> uh huh. Well, you know what we we say about Marylanders. When you're oh, true, Patrick, true, but, uh, very yeah. true. <laughs> well, thank you for being here, Patrick. It's a, a delight. Thank you so much, Patrick. This is great. As yes, always, thank you for. Thank you for having me. This is so much fun. Keep on uh, pointing out our, our many, many... Well, just stop talking about in, uh... Horatio. It was just Horatio. He got wrong. <sighs> Most famous play the man ever wrote. I was also, You did also have the, the problem of coming, coming, bringing that reference right when I was getting ready to record the Brave Spirits, his Shakespeare histories, and so was hmm. way deep in Shakespeare yeah, yeah, yeah. at the moment. <laughs> we understand. Would you like to plug that sure. or anything else, Patrick? All kinds of stuff. Brave Spirits, Shakespeare, Histories, Audio Drama, the Brave Spirits Theater Company had uh, was doing all eight of Shakespeare's history plays in rep when the pandemic struck and they had to cancel them. So we took them onto the audio circuit and we just finished recording all eight plays. 
um, which will be released uh, as podcasts episodically. So each play has been divided into three episodes, and I'm started editing those right now. They'll be out sometime in uh, 2022. And you can also find me if you liked all the Broadway talk we did. I have a podcast called The Original Cast, which is a show about original cast albums and the people who love them, which both Chris and Glenn have been have been guests. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he also gets legit guests. He gets though. real people, real, I mean, uh, real people. Uh, you know. I have and and I have uh, yes, Tony Award winners and all kinds of and all I have all kinds of comers and. Um, we uh, and also Beth Amon and I, another DC theater person, have a podcast called "What Is Love Actually," where we look at uh, Christmas uh, romantic comedies that will be back uh, for a limited run between Black Friday and New Year's Day. And so, uh, be sure to check your feeds for that. Outstanding, mm-hmm. yeah. That uh, Charlene Smith, yes. right? Yeah, the Charlene Smith is, her, is the Brace Spirits. Yeah, that's her theater company. I saw she got a New York she Times did. front about. page of the Arts and Leisure section when they. Yeah, really, really great. Very, very happy for them. It's going to be really, really good. It was a. I mean, it was a. It was many, many mm-hmm. hours to record the whole thing, but the the company of actors we had because it's the only only about fifteen actors playing all those parts. Yeah. They're so wonderful, classic, like. Just the the interpretation of it being, you know, you hear Shakespeare histories and everybody, you know, oh, bring hither to me. That's just what he said. This is not that. This is much more accessible, fun, real people bringing and making the history hopefully come alive for everybody with all that beautiful language uh, around it. So awesome. I'm really looking forward to people hearing it. All right. It's really a lot of fun. Superb. So join us soon. Uh, join, join us in a fortnight or so. Maybe sooner. We'll see. For for Mary, Queen of Scots, Elizabeth, again, thank you for your letter. Take some copious notes when you watch Mary, Queen of Scots. So you return it to the library in a timely fashion. Everyone else, get your copies. Again, I'm telling you, it's on Blu-ray. It's available. Any other parting words? Uh, Glenn? I got, I got nothing except be seeing you. Thank you again, Patrick. Be seeing you. Be seeing you, everyone. Oh, there you go. Okay. Pure gold. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That's fun. It was. Just to hear your name. I learned the hard way. That's a love is cool. I learned the hard way, baby. I learned the hard way. I learned the hard way about you. Now I know about you. Now I know about you. When I open my eyes. A degree absolute was conceived by Glenn Weldon and is produced by me, Chris Klemek. I wrote our silly little theme song, which was then arranged and beautifully performed by my dear friend Casey Aaron Clark on vocals and keyboards and her brother Jonathan Clark on guitar and percussion. Find out more about Casey at CaseyAaronClark.com and or VitalVoiceTraining.com. You can write the Citizens Advice Bureau at a degree absolute at Gmail. Follow us on Instagram at a degree absolute. Tweet us at not a number pod got lots of bond related content coming to accompany the long delayed release of no time to die i'll be on pop culture happy hour uh, an episode hosted by glenn on friday october 8th talking about the new movie i'll also be on all things considered on npr that afternoon talking with barbara broccoli and michael g wilson the longtime producers of the Bond films. Also check out the website The Ringer this week for my first piece for them, which is about the various complaints and grievances lodged by every actor, really, ever to play James Bond, except for Pierce Brosnan. Finally, some of you have asked why Glenn wrote the podcast book, and I have an answer. Eddie Kane got him a contract in South Yemen. All the action he can handle. 
crazy. He'll never quit. He can't. Best man down. Put to bed? Are they? Yes, the little ones are abed. How, how are they with re sugar All plums? The are they ones? dreaming? Dreaming of sugar plums? Oh, sure, they're probably dreaming. Okay. They're they were <laughs> they were screaming. They're not doing that anymore, mm-hmm. so that's good. I didn't know as a child, and that I don't know as an adult is what a sugar plum is. Uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. It is a plum. Yeah, it's a, a plum dipped in sugar. Dipped in sugar. Yeah. Oh, so some some primitive form of candy. <laughs> Some obsolete you know what's, candy. And, and along the nutcracker lines, you know what's gross is marzipan. Oh, yeah. That's certainly true. Okay. I found that out the oh, hard wait, way. Oh, wait. That's kind of the <laughs> almond paste, right? I don't, mind an, I don't mind an almond paste. Yeah. It's good on stuff. It's not good on yeah. its own. The Turkish Delight Which is in the one. nutcrackers, they have those like little marzipan gentlemen and ladies yeah. that are characters. Yeah. And somebody – I went to a party once and somebody <laughs> made them and I took made the mistake of taking a bite off. Yeah. Uh, cool. Let me tell you, some of those marzipan gentlemen are not gentlemen. They're not gentlemen. No, no. Just because they went to Yale, they, yeah. get to, they think they get to act. <laughs> I always find a way to mention it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I draw the line at uh, Turkish Delight. I have nothing against the Turks. Ooh, it's nobody's right? business, but Turkish Delight is, uh, is gross. Sure. Every time Glenn prefaces something with, I, I have nothing against the Turks, I know I'm going to have to cut <laughs> yeah. whatever. It's got to have to be edited. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> nothing against the but Turks. But tell that to the Armenians, anyway. Um, <laughs> they are my sons. They are all my sons. They are all my sons. <laughs> all my sons who work for me. Yes. Everyone who works for me is my son. <laughs> Quite an intelligent young man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wrong Get Getting the tangents podcast. out of the way now. Sure. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Tangent tolerant. Famously. There won't, <clears throat> there won't be any more. <laughs>